Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast. Look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time, and for the past three weeks, movies that aren't on the list at all. Kicking off and continuing our Christmas tradition of looking at Star Wars films, our Star Wars holiday special, which seems destined to be a cycle of diminished returns, but we'll talk about that in a moment. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, A.P.E. Quinn. How are you, A.P.E.? I'm good, thank you. Well, yeah, like up and down. I, I think like like this this time of year, kind of, it's getting colder. The um, days are getting shorter. I've a bit of like a head cold, been in the dumps, but oh, like sorry. not too bad, really. Like, you know, all things considered. I'm sorry. I'm... No, that's okay. How are you? I'm I'm okay. Again, December, not not a great time of year. As you said, things getting darker. Festive holidays, everybody's happy. It puts a bit of a downer on somebody who's feeling just a bit mellow. Uh, yeah. But generally speaking, doing pretty okay. Um, well, yeah. um, and joining us for this discussion of Ron Howard's 2018 Solo, A Star Wars Story, we have... Seems we just have, have one name here. It, 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 it's Luke, but but uh, I don't know. He, he seems pretty complete to me. I, I think if I were to... To describe him, he's like whole Luke Luke Dunn. Dunn, yes, that that's very good. Luke Dunn is joining us for this discussion of Solo a Star Wars story. How are you, Luke? Luke, oh no. <laughs> I'm good. And, and and to think all 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 my life I've I've gotten flack from being called Luke because of this franchise, and yet here I am, scruffy, surly, I I, I insist every time that I don't want to be here, and yet somehow, whenever you guys need me, I, I show up rakishly handsome, also as well. Yeah, and this year you are you're do, you're doing a guest turn solo as well, so you know if exactly, it fits, yeah, if the it, scruffy hurting nerf, wait, scruffy looking nerf hurting hat fits, it all fits. I am also heavily in debt to space slugs. <laughs> I do um, most of my socializing with hairy animals now. That 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 is that is true. It has been a very long pandemic for all of us. Um, but yes, we're talking about Solo, a Star Wars story, which is a very storied Star Wars production. Appropriately enough, it is the first of the Disney Star Wars movies to release in May. It released only five months after the release of the Last Jedi. It is also the first Disney Star Wars movie to underperform both critically and crucially commercially. Um, lot to talk about here, but before we jump into that, I want to ask Andrew, had you seen Solo, A Star Wars Story before I said, hey, I guess we're covering that this year for Christmas? I think I had. Um, it was like a, it was, I, back in 2018, I wasn't, um, uh, married. I was, I was a, a, a single man and, um, I, I think I went on the, on the date. Oh, I thought you said you were going to see, you saw it solo. I thought that's ah. where the story was going. <laughs> no, it was like a third or a fourth date. And I think it, it, it was like a, a bad decision. Right. Um, and I, I, I think though that it was in, it was in the, um, is it the Odeon that's by the point? Yes. The Point Depot Odeon. And, and they had the movie these airport. like cards 
that were um, like collector's items with it. Oh, okay. did, did you bring? Did you ask me to go to the premiere and I brought a date or what? Or I'm wondering what it was. Was <laughs> that... it like a work thing where I got free tickets to go to? Because I, I, I don't know why I would have went to go see um, Solo, a Star Wars story while, while it was in the cinema if it wasn't like free or, out or, of obligation. or subsidized. Yeah, um, that that's what I'm kind of curious about because I got I get the sense that you had seen this before, and I'd always kind of wondered why. I don't like why. movies as a date either. <laughs> no, they're they're terrible dates. Yeah, yeah, they are terrible kind of date concepts. You sit in a dark room, you stare at a screen uh, awkwardly. Yeah, um, it's what it, it's what um, Dustin Hoffman does in in The Graduate to 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 put off his girlfriend as he he brings her to a movie. I mean, look, Dustin Hoffman in The Graduate is clearly a model to us all. Yeah. Um, but uh, Luke, what about yourself? Do you remember the first time you saw a solo a Star Wars story? Did you see it on initial release? Did oh, you Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver? Yeah, I mean, that's thing. a slightly different movie, but yes. Um, I imagine that was a slightly different Most experience. aspirational figures. Yeah. <laughs> Bickle, a taxi driver story. And just one of those people that does be on Twitter that watches every movie and is like, they're, they're endorsing this. They're telling us we should behave this way. There, the both demonstrations of like um, men taking women to to see movies and like you know it's a, never a good idea. No. Yeah. Okay. I feel like we're not going <laughs> to. We're sorry, not going to take a break. <laughs> Welcome to a movie podcast. Um, so you would say the best way to see this is, is to see this solo. Incidentally, by the way, uh, for Italian markets, they had to brand this Han Solo a Star Wars story because they were worried that audiences would be slightly confused at uh, your know, Spanish audiences would be slightly confused by a movie called Alone, a Star Wars story. Uh, but Luke, uh, we'll come back to what it was called in China. In China, it was called Ranger Solo. Because the Last Jedi had flopped significantly in China, the Star Wars branding was deemed completely worthless. So they tried to sell this to Chinese audiences as a generic sci-fi film with no association to Star Wars whatsoever. <laughs> so they literally just called it Ranger Solo, which is great. Um, but Luke, do you remember the first time that you saw Ranger Solo? Did you see it on initial release? Did you go to the press screening? Did you wait until a little bit afterwards? Yeah, I think I, I did see this at the press screening, yeah. And I remember thinking that it was fine. I actually I tried to read a bit of my uh, review I dug that up uh, before we started recording and it's very similar to the notes that I had written down for this like it's it's a lot of the same words and aggressively fine is I think it's not in both of them but it's I think it is a pretty good summary I think the last line of my review I'll just pull it up here as fan service goes, Solo, a Star Wars story, ticks plenty of boxes, but when you're ticking boxes, it's hard to think outside of them. So I, I think that that still pretty much covers it. Uh, nice turn of phrase, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel that's, like we could just wrap the podcast here, shortest episode ever. That's pretty much all I have, Andrew. Is I, I basically take <laughs> the wordplay that I can then turn into either the title of the review or the last line of the review, and if I can't do that, it's a real struggle. Um, <laughs> you can, listeners, you can use that. In, well, I do they have permission to use that uh, to like to adapt it in their personal life? No, that's 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 my that's my trade secret. It's your IP. Darren, it's your intellectual property. Darren, snip snip. to the recording. You can't. You can't let that. That will be in the prequel about my life. As people will find out how I got yeah. my iconic. <laughs> 
techniques. Turn of phrase. No, it's yeah. just I, I forgot though, Darren, that this came out in May uh, because I was going to say, speaking of of yes, know, winter time and Christmas and how it's depressing. I, uh, do you remember we were going to get one of these every year? Yeah, <laughs> remember that was the plan for all eternity. They and they I'm changed that- their minds about that quite 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 swiftly after this. I think. That like you're you're not even ex- you're you're almost underplaying it, right? The original plan was for basically Star Wars to turn into what Marvel had done, because obviously every franchise looked at the success of the Marvel machine, where they weren't just producing sequels once every four years or once every three years. They were producing three or four movies every year, and those movies are making seven hundred million dollars, a billion dollars consistently, like reliably drawing in an audience that was turning out to see them as if they were like prescribing, you know, uh, an opioid or whatever. It was basically like, go and see these movies and keep up to date with them. Um, And like the plan was for Star Wars to turn into one of those franchises. That is why this was released in May. The idea was to see if the market could support two Star Wars movies within six months of each other. Slight spoiler alert, the answer was no, no, it could not. But sorry, Andrew. I mean, I suppose we'll probably get into it in the spoiler zone or maybe in next week's episode. But I I feel like the problem that Star Wars runs into is that they, they, in spite of the fact that it's a saga and it feels like it should, that that should kind of help you to to write a story, they tend to kind of... um, they they tend to write these, and oftentimes, like with this, they're written by the same people who, yes. who've, who've who've written the original stories, but it doesn't really kind of work in the canon of of um, of, Star of Star Wars, Wars, if you know what I mean. As, As in, it doesn't that, fit with what came no, before. No, no. Okay. Whereas I, I I guess in 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 Marvel, it all tends to kind of like knit together quite well. It feels like it's very kind of. Even, even, even when it's like a Herculean, uh, Herculean task to to to, to line to, everything up and say get everything the where they they're all pointing in the one direction, they 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 seem to do a better kind of a job with that. Whereas you're watching kind of Star Wars properties and they seem to undermine one another. I think you're right that this is something we're going to talk about like later on, um, and also like later on this episode, maybe later on in an episode we do later this year. But I think, like, the big difference between, like, Star Wars and Marvel is that, like, the Marvel shows continually press forward. The Marvel movies and TV shows generally build one after the other. And I know, like, there's some kind of stickler about where movies fall in the continuity. Some movies are earlier than their release schedule. But generally speaking, they build on one another and they're progressive. So, you know, I mean, Captain Marvel is technically a prequel, but it's not really operating in the space of Captain America or Iron Man where it can contradict it. Whereas, like, you look at, say, a lot of the Star Wars stuff and a lot of the star wars stuff is technically like prequels to other star wars stuff like the mandalorian takes place between return of the jedi and the force awakens obi-wan kenobi takes place between revenge of the sith and like a new hope for example Andor takes place between revenge of the sith and rogue one and so all these like shows and movies have to line up with one another they don't just have to like work with what came before they also have to fit into what comes next and i think there's a tension there that they don't really resolve and it's harder to do and I think that's maybe one reason why Star Wars isn't as good as it as Marvel, which is just like, go, 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 go. Uh, we'll fix it or we'll make it up as we go along, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, again, we'll, we will maybe get into this in the spoilers zone, because I think one the interesting things about, like, the first ra- run of Disney Star Wars movies running up to this one is that, like, even just in terms of look and appearance, they look very distinct from one another and they look 
I would argue, much better than the Marvel movies, which have this very color-corrected, very flattened kind of aesthetic. They sound, I would argue, much more distinct, obviously, the John Williams score, but also things yeah. like the, the Rogue One score, which we love as well. And even here, like, you have stuff like Bradford Young cinematography, right? We'll talk about the movie, but Young cinematography here is, like, dusty, it's dark, it's got character, it's rich, it's got depth. And, like, that is a very distinct aesthetic. It doesn't feel like the Marvel movies where you could show a random frame from Thor Ragnarok and put it next to something like, say, uh, Black, you know, sorry, Black Panther, you know? And it would be hard to tell the difference between the two yeah. if you didn't recognize the actors. I, I mean, I, I, no, sorry. I, I guess we won't get into kind of Marvel. I, I, I do agree for the most part. But I, I, I think there, there's, 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 there, the two movies you mentioned there kind of um well they're very different in terms of tone and they're very different in terms of like yeah, how they're really like their soundtrack and all that sort of thing well that's like fair I, black I, panther I, soundtrack yeah. is probably that yes is, is is a bad example for me to have chosen you're very right, right about that sorry, sorry. um anyway. <laughs> sorry tangent upon tangent upon tangent but yeah the original idea was that yeah disney wanted to as as kind of luke said put out several of these every year and count on the audience turning out to see them religiously which is very strange when you think about it, because obviously back in the original kind of Star Wars trilogy, there were three years between each of the movies, three years between the original Star Wars, between Empire, between Return of the Jedi. <laughs> then you get the prequels. Again, huge gap between Return of the Jedi and the prequels. And each of the prequels are, again, three years apart. And then you have like Force Awakens, which comes 10 years after Revenge of the Sith. It is one of the biggest movies ever made. I believe it is the biggest movie of all time at the American box office on its release. And it is that because... It has been 10 years since there's been a Star Wars movie because there's been a pent up demand and it is a big event. And it's kind of fascinating to me that Disney look at this and go, let's just churn them out constantly and expect them to perform the same way. Like there was a lot of coverage of, say, The Last Jedi performing less than The Force Awakens did. It only was the highest grossing movie of its year. It only grossed as much as, say, Black Panther or, you know, far more than Thor Ragnarok. But it didn't gross as much as The Force Awakens. And it's like, that's because these things aren't special anymore. The Force Awakens was the first Star Wars movie in a decade. Uh, the Last Jedi was the third Star Wars movie in three years. This is the fourth Star Wars movie in three years and a half. And there is that kind of sense of it not being an event anymore. It doesn't feel like it's it's kind of like a seismic, earth-shattering cosmic force. Like, I remember, like, when the prequels came out, those were a big deal to my dad. I remember when The Force Awakens came out, we organized an entire family trip at Christmas to go and see it because it was an event. It was something special. It didn't happen, you know, every other couple of months. And I think what was really challenging about solo even before we get into the movie itself and its trouble production was that it was like this felt like the first time that these weren't in any way special that this wasn't an event this wasn't a big deal this wasn't something that was worth paying attention to it was just another blockbuster so it was rogue one before this. rogue one was before this but it had the christmas slot and it had it at least had the distinction of being the first star wars movie that wasn't an episode quote unquote yeah. that it was you know it was a, that it did feel special yes i i thought it did yeah at least I, 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 i'd agree with that um, but Lucas, is, is any of that fair or is... I think that's pretty accurate. I think you also get with this one, the I think there's a possibility that audiences felt this sense of foreboding that this is what it's going to be from now on. You know, I think the idea that now we're going to get the Boba Fett movie and now we're going to get this movie. And now, we're, now uh, clearly, a large section of the audience, that is all they want. <laughs> is they just want... <laughs> people characters that they recognize to show up mm. but it's a very fine science they they know that they want that but then if they don't get it in the exact way that they want it they kick off 
you know so i think in theory this is a slam dunk and as always like we're, we always turn out to be wrong darren in that review that i wrote i was like this is going to make a huge amount of money <laughs> and i was i was <laughs> i was relatively speaking i was i was quite wrong about that um well like you know business plan changingly wrong do you know what i mean but um, yeah. theoretically, this this is this makes sense. This is a character that people love. You know, this is yeah. Disney haven't quite burned away the fan base's goodwill. With their, I think there 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 would have been skepticism coming into this off of the back of the Last Jedi. But I mean, we can get into all that after the spoilers, and I guess how that impacts how they choose to tell these stories you know the the, the, yeah. the worries about fan perceptions and stuff but the i think disney overestimated people's demand for this kind of content from this franchise and like even this year they've they've, they've they're still fine-tuning that you know yeah where like andor is not performing particularly well and there's a sense that even on the streaming shows there's saturation there's a saturation point for these things well well yeah and like again it 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 is a very finely tuned thing that they're they're still trying to get used to because uh the Obi-Wan Kenobi streaming series was essentially this uh, like low risk here's a character you recognize yeah thing uh but they couldn't really deliver beyond the initial like a lot of these projects it's like you reveal it at the comic-con people get excited oh they're doing this oh you mcgregor's coming they're back bringing back why yeah. and then by the time that the thing comes out you've lost whatever like it's a very thin hold that you have over the audience and by telling them that it's going to happen you've kind of blown your load basically so that again you would have thought worked it kind of didn't i mean i guess people watched it but there didn't seem to be a huge amount of enthusiasm on the other side of that. And then if you look at the Mandalorian, which was a new idea that they had, relatively yeah. speaking. 2019, the following Christmas. That yeah. had kind of a nice balance in terms of what audiences seem to want out of out of Star Wars, in terms of giving them old stuff, but giving them new stuff. It looks like Boba Fett, but it's not actually Boba Fett. It looks like Yoda, but it's a baby. And when, and you know, when they bring in the old, old stuff, people fucking love that. I don't get it, but it worked and you can imagine the 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 star wars division at disney just tearing their hair out it's it's like the bit in the simpsons <laughs> with the itchy and scratchy guy oh, so you, yeah. people don't know what you want that's why you're still star wars fans, so you want to so see you because you're stupid so you want you want a show that is grounded and down to earth but also completely off the walls and cartoonish and filled with robot ass i mean that's what star wars is you know filled with magic robots you know uh, but yeah, like just the idea that like every single time that they put one of these out, it's like it's not new enough. It's some, it's more of the same. It's yeah. too the same. It's not the same. You know, it's it's it is bewildering to me at least. It's odd in this movie that um, there's 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 hardly any magic at all. Well, it's sorry. I, when you I, say I, magic, I just, are we talking literally or metaphorically? We're uh, uh, literal magic. <laughs> okay. As, it, as, as in, in, like, space wizards. Space, space wizard magic. wizards, yeah. There, 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 there's an argument that what one of the characters does is space magic. Um, but that, that, that'll that get... If we were to talk about that, yeah, that, well, would, that would get into a very nerdy discussion, I guess. Which we could Which we, we absolutely will. Yeah, <laughs> it's sure. Christmas. Like, um, I can imagine there being a lot of executive notes to the same effect. 
back and like back and forth. Again, I I can imagine that being something they went back and forth on. I think in theory, if you're having this movie come through Han Solo's point of view, and I'm sure somebody brought up in a meeting, well, in A New Hope, he doesn't believe in the Force and he doesn't believe Jedi. in all this Jedi mumbo yeah. jumbo. Therefore, we shouldn't have any. Then you would have had people going, but it's not really Star Wars if we don't have. <laughs> <laughs> How do you square that particular and then, and then somebody else goes, yeah, but then we can sell it in China as a completely non Ranger <laughs> Solo. Like, it's... Uh, this is... This, Wolf Warrior Tree, the Star Wars story. I definitely think there's, there's people in Disney Brilliant. that are like... And, I, you know, they, they've had they've had change at the top again this year. Like, I think there's people that would say that Star Wars as a whole is more trouble <laughs> than it's worth. <laughs> For I mean, it's it's not. It makes it billions of dollars. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it has made billions upon billions of dollars and is the cornerstone of their streaming empire. But I think that there was this idea that when they brought that when they bought the IP, it was like print money. Yeah, and away it goes now, and it's just it prints money. And I think that there is an extent to which they see the Marvel universe doing that. And again, obviously, yeah. that's hard to do. <laughs> yeah. But, and it's a very it's very sh- sh- shallow surface level comparison, but I can imagine them doing that as well because that's what that's what the that's what film producers do <laughs> they make very shallow comparisons, and I I think they must look at this and be like, but it's 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 a popular IP, people like it, we make a lot of it, why is it how is it not <laughs> yeah. Why does it not make the same amount of money every time? I think maybe they don't understand capitalism as well as they think that they do. <laughs> and as you say, Dan, the idea of diminishing returns, which is another thing I've got written in my notes. Um, we're doing Luke no bingo here. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's kind of, it's a concern maybe that they're, I can't think of something that they haven't, like, milked, you know. And then, and then and the, I guess, like we can talk a little bit about that later on. But I, I'm trying to think of like a property. what their um what their thing is that is full of promise. Yeah, like that that Disney have given up on making like Disney Disney movies, and well, and they haven't. But but uh, they're no longer the center of the brand. Yeah, yeah, and they, they, a lot of the ones they are making are the kind of live action remakes. And that the and that Pixar doesn't seem like a kind of it doesn't seem special anymore when when a Pixar movie comes out to the same extent, maybe, and um, um, Marvel's kind of fourth or uh, phase four. Yeah, I I love that you can barely remember. I actually do. I ironically love <laughs> I that Andrew like, is so it out the of fourth it. Or the fifth? Yeah, I love that you're so ironically out of it that it's like you don't need to be reminded. I love this. Uh, we but, preserve but your innocence. Every, the current phase of the MCU. Yeah, but every everybody feels like yeah, this isn't the greatest phase, is it? Yeah. And then with Star Wars, it's kind of like it's at the point now where there's TV shows and they're giving it a while before they. Um, have a movie because like they've gotten to a point of saturation yeah like again they keep cancelling Star Wars movies I mean is it uh, the recent one the the Rogue Squadron movie from Patty Jenkins was cancelled there's the Ryan Johnson trilogy which is probably never going to happen there's the Damon Lindelof movie that he's apparently working on with a writer's room that is probably never going to see the light of day there's I I think I think they probably just tell Damon Lindelof yeah we're making just to get him to go away (laughs) he just (laughs) he just goes off in some room somewhere for a few years the last time we invested 280 million dollars in a movie that you wrote it turned 
turned out perfectly. So it's it'll be fine. Are you, like to to your point, Andrew, about you know you bring up Pixar and you bring up the kind of central Disney movies in the brand. I think part of the secret sauce that they that they find difficult to manage in this century is that you know they make movies for children, but it has to be four quadrant every time. Yeah. And I think with this movie, part of part of why I reckon it, it underperformed possibly is that theoretically is more of a kids Star Wars movie, certainly than um Rogue One. Uh, Rogue yeah. One, for example. And like when you look at Andor the, the the TV show, that's definitely something where they are going, we're gonna aim this towards the older Star Wars audience. Theoretically this is something that you would think is more for the kids and yet kids don't like mm. kids that when kids saw Han Solo, it was this weird, crusty, seventy-year-old man that they thought die. They don't. They don't. Yeah. They don't. They don't care how he got his last name or his jacket, Mookie best or, friend, yeah, like or his cool shape. And, 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 and I think you can. I can imagine parents being like, "I don't know if I want to take my kid to see Solo, a Star Wars story, because I don't know that they'd be bothered." You know. Yeah, particularly particularly this the summer. Presumably there was something out. Well, oh, this is this is this gets eaten alive by Infinity War. Like again, we are avoiding the like we're saying we're avoiding the comparison. But this comes out in May. Infinity War comes out, I think, two or three weeks later, and just eats yeah, it. The kids want to see Spider Man because they know who that is. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um. Like well, again, like this is the thing. Even after this, why is, would they put two of their movies anyway? It's know. because they own so much pop culture. It is statistically impossible for yeah. them. Like the reason why this comes out in May, despite all the trouble production, right? Is because they've already decided that their Christmas movie this year is going to be Mary Poppins Returns. Like they're uh, not running, uh, they're not running from other movies. They're running from other Disney. Wasn't it? Well, it was a more profitable movie, certainly. I think it made slightly less than Solo, but it cost a lot less than Solo, so they made more money on it. People liked it. Yeah, well, more than this. I think yeah. like Mary Poppins Returns had a bit of a pushback to it. Um, it was like Aquaman was the surprise hit of that Christmas of all movies with Pitbull's Africa, which we will never be covering on this podcast, but it does feature Julie Andrews as a giant octopus. Um, but. I mean, like the... you, you've basically given up on the whole concept of this because this this certainly isn't on the list. So when you get to those questions, no, no. I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> um, if you were to rate this as aggressively fine, Luke. Um, again, like it is, we've been talking around it just very, very briefly. It's worth just acknowledging the uh, elephant in the room when it comes to production of this movie, uh, which was a complete disaster by the standards of any blockbuster production. Um, apparently... Uh, this was Lawrence Kasdan's baby. Lawrence Kasdan, one of the writers who had worked on me, The Empire Strikes. Who was it, Jonathan Kasdan? <laughs> yes, Jonathan Kasdan was was also Jonathan Lawrence Kasdan's Kasdan was also Lawrence Kasdan's yeah. baby. Um, and Jake Kasdan as well. There's two of them, and they also make movies independently. In fact, actually, Jonathan Kasdan is currently He's back in on Willow. Willow isn't yes, he? Yeah. yes, he is. Uh, yep, nepotism, Hollywood nepotism. Um, I actually, actually, it's, it's like uh, you are my weakness, <laughs> Jonathan. The- I, I feel like the the I I I you know that I I think if I were a father and my son wanted or daughter wanted to follow in my footsteps I would um like you know uh, give them <laughs> like a bit a bit of a bit of a, a, a favor oh. people would be like kind of Oh, um, here's the but but it's such high stakes, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, I can't think of any examples in Hollywood of this going wrong. So, 
No, no, absolutely not. I mean, I like, is it like, we all saw Ghostbusters Afterlife, right? On a completely unrelated note. Um, I think that movie well, broke its director's brain. <laughs> oh, and you're like, we, we should like Luke's review of Ghostbusters Afterlife. I did mention it as a joke, but if you, we'll include the show notes. Luke's review of Ghostbusters Afterlife is one of my favorite piece of journalism uh, from the past three or four years that's very generous, um so i hope <laughs> it it's a remarkable piece of prose um i wholeheartedly recommend it and it is in many ways more enjoyable than the film itself but yeah so basically lawrence kasdan uh who obviously worked on the empire strikes back worked on return of the jedi he had wanted to make a han solo movie apparently for years he'd been bugging lucas to let him do it for decades he'd been like i feel like we can take this character explore his backstory and kind of like delve into it uh lucas himself was apparently vaguely interested in developing a project around Han. He was supposed to have a cameo in the Battle of Kashuk at Revenge of the Sith, which would have shown him meeting Chewbacca for the first time. That was cut. Uh, in 2014, there were plans, sorry, in 2010, there were plans for the Underworld TV show. And again, we're getting deeply into the weeds here. We'll get out of there as quickly as possible. The idea was this would be the first live action Star Wars television show, building off the success of the Clone Wars. Sorry, they were going to meet in Kashuk. Um... Do we do we know the context? Was was um, was Han Solo uh, uh, an Imperial stormtrooper <laughs> massacring Wookiee, yeah, right. Wookiee, fa- Wookiee women and children? Yeah, yeah, all the force sensitive Wookies. Yeah, yeah sc- screaming in, in agony, <laughs> and then were silenced. Um, but yeah, so the plan was to do a TV show called. I believe that the idea was that he would be a child. I don't know whether he would be a child soldier. I imagine he would just be a child, and Chewbacca would like pick him up and give him a home or whatever. Uh, but then that didn't pan out. There were plans for Underworld, the TV show. Uh, that was developed. It had a writer's room with, like, Ronald D. Moore in it. Um, and I believe Matthew Graham as well. Russell T. Davies, who just come off Doctor Who, was apparently offered a post on it as well. Yeah. Um, it was supposed to be this big, we're coming into television kind of thing. They did, like, there were video tests for it as well. We'll see if we can dig those out. The idea was that that would have focused, very similar to what this movie ended up being, it would have focused on the criminal underworld of the star wars universe which is something of an interesting recurring preoccupation for like lucas and for kasdan i think there was a big event in the 90s shadows of the empire which played out across comic books books and video games that was similarly about the idea of what about the criminals in the star wars universe um that would have focused on the origin story of han lando and Chewie. and apparently lucas actually finally said look fine lawrence write your damn solo movie around about 2012, before Lucasfilm got bought by Disney. In fact, Lawrence Kasdan had to be pulled off of his Star Wars solo project to work on The Force Awakens, and that is where Jonathan Kasdan comes in. Uh, Because Lawrence was like, hey, look, I got pulled off this project, but I want to continue working on it. Do you guys want to make a solo movie? And Disney like, we want to make a Boba Fett movie, we want to make a solo movie, we want to make a Watto movie, we got got plans. Um, one, ah, ah, ah. Um, but basically they're like, yeah, we still want to develop that. And Kasdan's like, well, look, if I'm working on The Force Awakens, I can't do it simultaneously. But I do know this young hotshot writer who reminds me of a young me who could maybe take over the project for you. And it's like, yeah, sure, sure. Your son could write this, this movie, basically. So they end up kind of developing it. It is one of the projects that is announced uh, on, among the first wave of projects. As Luke mentioned, you have what becomes Rogue One in there. You have Josh Trank's famous failed Boba Fett movie, uh, which gets derailed by the release of Fan Stick. So, okay, Luke is wincing there. I just, I forgot about that. <laughs> this is the one where after Fantastic Four, that hit piece came out about him in Vanity Fair, I think it was. Yeah. And- then the one about the dog, like the dogs in the his dogs house and in stuff the house like that. Which and, is, yeah. We should release raw footage of like 
kind of. I, I assume these things like never got to filming. Um, oh, the the Boba Fett stuff. But like yeah. on Disney Plus, there should be a place where people can watch movies that don't exist. Uh, well, I mean, the, like you're never going to see the uh, the Song of the South, no matter. How, like you're never going to log into Disney Plus and see Song of the South. Um, that was the whole thing. Was that there was always like this vault where Disney kept their things. <laughs> yeah, and that they would, it would only come out of the vault every now and then. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, Disney Plus. So what? It's like all of the vault open. It's like, no, not quite. No, no, no. We got a corner vault stuff. We're not touching. Yeah. <laughs> and some of those. They will do it eventually. Some of those war shorts were not going near. Uh, Daffy said some things. Um, they will do it yeah. eventually. Mickey, maybe. Yeah. These people have no honor, you know. Or, or... Well, I, I feel like 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 on now TV where they say like this movie contains like um, outdated out, depictions, outdated depictions of like you you can you can show something like that and kind of like put it in context. No, I I, I agree. Like I actually I honestly think that yeah, Song of the South should be available for historical well, purposes. Do like... that. Yeah, well, I mean, Whoa. did you not hear about, like, they, they're refurbishing, um, like, again, this is the thing, we're not talking about Song of the South, we are talking about Song of the South. There's nothing to talk about with this movie, so we're just putting it off as long as possible. <laughs> that is the thing. I was thinking earlier today, is like, what, what kind of withering takedown are we going to be able to contribute that will add to whatever has already been said about this movie? Like they did, and I'm kind of saying, like it's fine. It's uh, aggressively <laughs> fine. <laughs> like you know. Anyway, uh, yeah. But like, yeah. So like, song of the, song of the south was re-released in the 1980s. Like its last cinematic re-release in the states was in 1987. To give a sense of like how recently Disney realized how terrible that was. I mean, they're repurposing Splash Mountain because Splash Mountain. You know the ride Splash Mountain. That's yeah. based on Zippity Doodah's Song of the South. Oh, really? Yeah, they they downplayed that significantly. Yeah, you'd see all the characters yeah. in when you go through the ride. You see the Briar Rabbit, and they they tell these little stories from the film. Uh, the laughing place and such. Yeah, yeah. Like and, and like, if you ask a Disney this, staff, there's member, one person that you don't see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's quite a lot that you don't see. Like if you ask a Disney staff member which movie it's from, they'll generally be like, "Oh, it's from a lot of different places." But they're apparently refurbishing that ride now to make it based on Princess and the Frog, um, which feels like a very calculated decision in in many many ways. Um, but yeah, so basically. They eventually develop the pitch, the script is written, and they decide, who are we going to get to direct this? And ironically enough, it is Jonathan Kasdan, who is a young filmmaker himself, who's like, look, there are these two guys whose work I really admire. Um, is it Phil, Phil Lord and Chris Miller? Sorry, Chris Lord and Phil Chris Miller. Yeah, yeah. Lord and Miller, basically. Phil Lord. Chris Chris Miller. Phil Lord, Chris Miller. Uh, they're the guys who did, obviously, they did the Jump Street movies, 21 and 22. They did Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. They did the two Lego movies as well. They're guys who have, like, a really strong artistic sensibility, a great sense of humor, and a love of pop culture. They would be a perfect fit for this movie that we're writing about Han Solo, that lovable rapscallion. So Kathleen Kennedy's like, yeah, this sounds really promising. I mean, look, I've worked with Spielberg. He was also a young up-and-coming director who, you know, kind of like fit perfectly into the, into the studio machine. How could this possibly go wrong? They basically, again, they announced casting of the movie, and the casting of the movie is just about every young, handsome white guy you could possibly imagine. Andrew asked how we're going to pad out this episode. Darren's just going to run through a list of generic <laughs> white guys from the, mid, from the mid-2000s. 
where you had like Miles Teller, Ansel Elgort, Dave Franco, Jack Rayner, Scott Eastwood, Logan Lerman, Emery Cohen from Brooklyn, and Blake Jenner from Everybody Wants Some. Logan Lerman. Yeah, I know. The, there's he? a time capsule. <laughs> yeah, there's a time capsule. No, I'm, that, that's not me, like, sh- um, uh, being mean to Logan Lerman. I'm not kind of a, a, a guy who, who follows kind of, like, I'm sure he's very talented and everything. But, um, no, that one passed me by. <laughs> that, that one just kind of breezed by. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it apparently comes down to Aaron Eldon Aaron Reich, who eventually gets the role, Jack Rayner, uh, and Taron Egerton. Apparently, Disney reject Taron Egerton for the role because he already has a franchise. Can't be greedy. You can't have more than just one. Kingsman, yeah, that was the thing. Their idea was that they were worried that he had commitments to, at the time, a rival studio that would prevent them from franchising the hell out of him. Like, when when, uh, Aaron Reich signed for this movie, he signed for three movies. The plan was to make a solo trilogy, which seems like a contradiction in terms, but this is apparently where we are it could still happen yeah and and i yeah, <laughs> i'm gonna say i i think um alden Ehrenreich is fine i think he's he's kind of charismatic i think he sells the kind of um funny lines quite well i think he he's got kind of a good sort of a comic timing yeah yeah nice kind of like a winsome sort of smirk um well he's primarily a comic actor like that's the thing yeah. you know do you know how he was discovered was it what no no but, oh go go um no sorry i'll come blank the uh okay, it was steven spielberg saw him in a video that was made for his daughter's bar mitzvah <laughs> okay i wasn't gonna guess that. <laughs> <laughs> luke looks at his notes and he has francis ford coppola baptism and he's like damn it i was i was thinking hail caesar but he was probably presumably he was already cast or at least on the shortlist by by the time he was doing hail caesar yeah which he's very funny in oh he's fantastic very... like, that, that's the thing is that like uh, aaron reich is a comed is a comedic actor he works very well like it's one of the more memorable parts about that movie well he's the entire trailer is yeah. if you remember the entire trailer yeah. for hail caesar it's is that fine <laughs> yeah, yeah. um and the reaction shot of is it uh emma beecham is that emily beecham like her again, like it's it's those three actors who are not who are barely in the movie at all. But the entire trailer for Hail Caesar was built around him, which is remarkable. He'd also got a small role, recurring role on Supernatural as well, and he'd worked with Francis Ford Coppola, I think, on is a Tetro as well and Twixt. Um, again, two classics of Francis Ford Coppola's filmography. But he had been like he had come into the industry through Spielberg and worked with Francis Ford Coppola. He was an actor who was seen as going places uh, when he arrived at the role of kind of Han Solo. The idea was, we're getting this guy while he's young, while he's hot, and he's going to go places. It's a weird thing. There is a kind of like, and I, 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 I'm, I'm not saying this about Aaron Wright, but there's a kind of, there's a sort of an incestuousness about it in the sense that like Lawrence Casson is a guy who's made a lot of kind of well-known um, kind of beloved movies. But, like, the reason he's making them is because he's done the others. Like, it, it feels like it's because he, he's kind of, like, you know, that that he... he because he knew George Lucas, Lucas at the right knows, time. Yeah, yeah. And and that, like, his his, his other movies are, are very sort of, like, hit and miss. Yeah. I mean, like, Body Heat. He did Body Heat, right? He wrote and directed Body Heat in my room. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. Like, like, again, classic in its own right, but he wouldn't have got to make that if he hadn't have done... Yeah, you know, the rewrites for Lucas on the Star Wars movies. Yeah, like that. The, 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 the kind of things that he's kind of like best known for are the um, 
um, Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, and again, like, part of me is like, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole because it makes me sound like the kind of YouTuber who wears a mask on their face and uses voice distortion. <laughs> but it, it is, it is notable. Like, I actually kind of like that Lucasfilm have a family. Like, that, right. that, that within their own little nest of Hollywood. I'm not suggesting they're bad. I'm, no, no, I, 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 just, I know. Like, like that, that, it's interesting how it is all circles moving in circles kind of thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, but like, it's Lucas. Family. Yeah. Or, fa- or a tribe. Well, when you <laughs> what's the difference andrew um, when you when you really kind of zone in on any of these kind of big hollywood players there is a lot of that you know like spielberg is, is somebody that mm. he definitely likes to feel comfortable for example and so people yes. people around whom he feels comfortable tend to do well in hollywood do you know what i mean yeah yeah and yeah i think it kind of leads into where this started to go disaster along wrong because lord and miller certainly knew jake kasdan at the wrong time you know but it's like i think i wonder to what extent a generational divide is responsible for the 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 hitches that this movie ran into because so what's so important always in hollywood and 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 getting these big jobs is taking good meetings yeah and for jake kasdan to be like jonathan kasdan sorry jake kasdan's the other brother there are so many of them Sorry. Jonathan, for him to be like, yeah, I know these guys. I've worked with these guys. These are great guys. Like, what constitutes a good meeting with him does not necessarily constitute a good meeting with with uh, Kathleen with the, Kennedy with the or the elder, Yeah, yeah, with Kathleen Kennedy. You know, I I, I think that the energy is 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 very different. Yes, that's that's it's a you see nepotism in Hollywood is not as easy as you think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, people are very hard on it. You, you need to. You talk- guys are. You guys have been friends a long time. Do you know when you go and you meet the parents of your friend, and you kind of have to be a little bit different. You know, you have to be a little bit more well behaved because you don't want the parents to be like, "This guy's a fucking idiot." Or this guy, <laughs> you know? I don't want you. I don't want you hanging around. Like that's essentially what happened at, 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 at Disney. I feel like we're past it at that. I, I, I think we're well, well past that stage. <laughs> but that's essentially what happened at Disney. Is 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 that Kathleen Kennedy was like, I don't want you hanging out with those Lord and Miller boys anymore. <laughs> They're bad news. Well, yeah. Well, what happens is obviously Lord and Miller come in, and Lord and Miller have a comedic sensibility. They're again. What happens, there's there's competing arguments from various sides. Uh, it's very clear the production line is divided down the middle. There are people who are on Team Miller and Lord. There are people who are on Team Howard or whatever, or perhaps Team Kasdan is probably better. But what seems to happen is Lord and Miller assume they've been hired to make a Lord and Miller movie. They start filming it in the way that you would film a Lord and Miller movie, which is that they start doing large numbers of takes. They hire a cast that, as you point out, as we point out, is very comedic leaning. Um, Aaron Reich at this point is best known for his comedic work, for example. Um, you know, you have like Donald Glover's in there, B.B. Waller-Bridge is in there, uh, even Woody Harrelson, who, you know, is a dramatic actor who's like Oscar nominated and all this sort of stuff. He is, you know, a sitcom actor off television and they get them together and they start improvising. And the idea is, you know, you, you throw them on the set that you built, which is a Star Wars set, you film them and you film them interacting and playing and bouncing off one another. The actors apparently really, really enjoy this. Um, and Lucasfilm are like, what the hell is going on? In particular, Lawrence Kasdan, who, as we said, has been the guy pushing for this so movie forever is like what's the point in me writing a script if you are just going to like improvise and throw it out and reject it and kind of just like you know run around all over and ignore all the characterization and the dialogue and the work that i've done meanwhile kathleen kennedy is growing very concerned at how they're actually physically shooting the thing where they are only using two or three camera setups and then filming multiple takes from that angle they're filming 30 40 takes uh, from that camera position 
The way that Lucasfilm shoot is very similar to the way that Disney shoot, which is the idea you want coverage, lots and lots of coverage. We've talked about this with like Billy Wilder. We're like, and again, it's weird to talk about Billy Wilder when we're talking about Solo, a Star Wars story. But we talked about how like Wilder was able to get away with what he did in the studio system because he didn't shoot coverage, because that meant that the executives couldn't come in and choose different angles and different shots from the ones that he wanted because there was no material that they could cut away to or cut into. Lord and Miller were apparently doing something similar. Lucasfilm would want like 15 different shots from you know the the falcon cockpit and instead lord and miller would use three which would make it very difficult in post-production for lucasfilm to retroactively decide that they wanted to use a different angle on the on the on the movie things heat up there's incredible tension between the two apparently jonathan kasdan is at one stage sent to the set as a ghost director uh, he's hovering over Lord and Miller's shoulders. The atmosphere is incredibly hostile, incredibly toxic. Kathleen Kennedy apparently snaps sometime in like mid-June 2017. And she basically offers what was at the time described as the, is a Gareth Edwards uh, ultimatum, which is basically, she goes down to the set and she says, look, you guys are not directing this movie anymore. You have two options here. First option is that you can be quiet about it and you can do the press tour. And we will put your name on the movie and it will be a Lord Miller movie. It'll be released in cinemas and everybody will be a happy family. The alternative is that we just fire you outright. And uh, this becomes a completely different project. And apparently that worked for Edwards on Rogue One. Edwards basically accepted that because he was a less experienced director. He said, okay, fine. Third act of the movie can be reshot by Tony Gilroy. It will still be an Edwards picture. Um, It'll still go out as as an Edwards film and I'll still do press for it. Uh, Lord and Miller say no. That's that's not what we signed up for at all, uh, and basically just they walk get a credit to to their credit and like to their credit and to no, no sorry they they still get a credit they get an executive producer credit yeah, yeah. um in return for not contesting the uh, DGA requirements this is again this is all very inside baseball but in order to get a director's credit on a movie you need to shoot eighty percent of it. And apparently Howard just got over that line. Like 81% of the movie is Ron Howard. Um, In fact, like it it, it takes an act. It takes almost an act of spite to like get a director scrubbed from the credits of a movie. The famous example here is Superman 2, where Superman 2 was like Richard Donner shot 50% of it. And then he had a big argument with the Salkinds and they brought in Richard Lester and they pumped money into that movie so that Lester would just get over the line and be able to take the director credit. With like Edgar Wright, um, um, uh, the, uh, I mean, it's interesting that because you're kind of watching it and you're thinking like, the things I like about this movie, I feel like they're the Edgar Wright thing. <laughs> yeah, they came from the other kind of director, the other point of view. Yeah. I mean, and again, there there's all sorts of conversations, like Ron Howard's brought in and it's to the credit of everybody involved, to be absolutely fair, that this seems to be handled relatively well. Like apparently... Howard and Lord and Miller are amicable. Uh, they they talk politely to one another. Lord and Miller are invited to the final cut to offer their opinion on it, to offer feedback or any advice that they might, might want to offer. I don't believe that they did offer any advice, but they did say that they enjoyed the movie. Um, and after the fact, like both parties have been generally quite graceful towards one another, which is to the credit of everybody involved. I can't imagine Ron Howard makes many enemies. enemies. Yeah. yeah, he yeah, seems like a nice of- guy. That's kind of the secret of his success, I guess. Is you want to talk about good good meetings. You have to imagine Ron <laughs> Howard gives oh, yeah. amazing meetings. And look, we talked a little bit about like the idea of like families and how insular this all is. 
Like, Howard is very much, like, part of the Lucasfilm family. He obviously, he directed Willow back in 1988. He was on, like, Lucas's shortlist to direct The Phantom Menace, for example. Like, again, much like the Kasdans, uh, he's somebody who is part of the family, and it's somebody who they obviously, like, have a great deal of affection for, and who everybody involved in this situation trusts to be a safe pair of Like, why, why would, like, why, from Lord and Miller's point of view, like, why would they have animosity towards him? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's interesting about Edwards, though. Like, I wonder would he make the same decision now? Presumably not, with regards to Rogue One. Particularly because, again, like Gilroy's kind of like ridden that to the success of Andor, where now now people talk about Rogue One retroactively as if it's a Gilroy movie, even though it has Edwards' name on it. Uh, which is again, again, very, very complicated and very messy. But yeah, that is kind of where the movie ends up. And then there's all these sorts of rumors that kind of spread about what's happening on the set. The editor of the movie is fired by Disney at short notice. It's Chris Dickens uh, is fired. He's the, he was the editor on, on Macbeth. They like to do that, don't they? Yes, we, we actually talked about that just last <laughs> week, where they did the same thing on Tomorrowland A World Beyond, where it's like, if you want to scare a director on a movie, you fire their editor. That's the warning shot. And apparently Lord and Miller didn't get the memo on this one. Uh, petty. It, it is incredibly petty. It's, Nonsense. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let's, do, let's, let's do whatever we can to kind of make the movie worse. Yeah. You know, for like political reasons. But that's it. And also let's let's hire th- these people who are incredibly talented and unique and just like completely override them. And when they try to assert their artistic vision, threaten them. Like not, not even enter as a collaborative partnership. And again, like the, the whole thing with Eldon Ehrenreich, where apparently the producers see his performance. And again, I'm, I'm using, I don't know which producer it was. There's a tendency to credit Kathleen Kennedy for all this. I suspect a lot of that is misogyny. But basically, it is the producers see Aaron Reich's performance and they are concerned that it is not Harrison Ford enough. And very famously, they draft in what is described in the press as an acting coach. It's actually another writer and director who was recommended by Lord and Miller as a sort of compromise between all of the parties um, and who everybody talks about very fondly. But they bring in what is described in contemporary press as an acting coach in order to teach Aaron Reich how to perform more like Han Solo as well, which is one of the more embarrassing kind of fiascos uh, around the movie. And there's just, again, all this gossip. The movie is reshot. Disney refused to move the release date that has been set in the calendar, which is remarkable. By all accounts, Howard does phenomenal work in getting this home. He manages to keep the budget surprisingly under control, given how far behind it is. There are reports that he is so meticulous and so careful in his shooting, he adheres so closely to Kasdan's script, which is probably what makes him a great director for this movie in their eyes, that he doesn't even need to build full sets. They don't need to take the full sets out of storage. They just take out the walls that they're going to use for the particular shots that Howard has in mind and has storyboarded. That is how efficient he is in terms of making this. He manages to get the movie in on time and on a reasonable budget. Uh, But again, you can tell how rushed this is because the first footage for Solo A Star Wars Story is only released in the Super Bowl, which is in what, March? So like two months before the movie is due to hit cinemas, uh, in contrast to, say, The Force Awakens. Apologies which... if the Super Bowl isn't in March. Yeah, sorry. By the way. Yeah. <laughs> Do any like, of our that sounds right. Early yeah. March. That sounds right. I Look, mean, February Marchish, but yeah, I feel is it is it February anyway. Sorry, it's not. But not just okay, point. but a couple yeah, of months, yeah, just yeah, a couple yeah. of months. Like the it's the Super Bowl trailer is the first time anybody gets a real look at Solo, a Star Wars story, and that is only months before the movie hit cinemas. As compared to say, like the Last Jedi and the Force Awakens, which had like trailers cut 
more than a year before they hit cinemas. Well, it's not like if they had the trailer well before the Super, like a month before the Super Bowl, they would probably still wait until the Super Bowl. That that is fair. But yeah. if they had it like twelve months before the Super Bowl, <laughs> yeah. they would probably um, not not wait as long to to air it. Um, and again, like reading about this again, this is not a Last Jedi podcast. I am astounded that like the Last Jedi seems to be the only Disney Star Wars project that had no trouble while it was shooting. Like, it's the only one that came in, like, on time, on budget, with no hassle whatsoever, with no delays, with nobody breaking their back or their ankle, uh, with no, you know, again, no director, like, having to come in and do heavy rewrites on the day on the set. Um, but yeah, it, it, it just seems like it's pure, pure chaos uh, behind the scenes. And again, the movie then limps into cinemas with this cloud hanging over it. And Andrew, can I ask, actually, like, you saw this uh, on a date, like, out of... Without knowing why you went to see it, even I, it where... must have been subsidized. It must have been <laughs> true work or something where it was like, yeah. And it's not the um, sometimes it ends up being kind of so. Sometimes there's very good movies, but they're kind of underseen. Yeah, and sometimes when when it is a blockbuster, it's kind of not a prime blockbuster. Oh, it's not. Like, it's not like a like like I think one one of them was like Batman versus Superman. I'm not complaining. What I'm saying is, is that I think sometimes the cinemas will kind of like make an Give offer to rate. like companies to say like, oh, do you do you want the pack a cinema to 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 see um, to like, like yesterday's solo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but I want to ask actually, like, obviously, I'm going to speak for Luke. I'm going to assume Luke was aware of at least some of this when the movie released. Like myself, a big movie nerds that we are. But were you aware, Andrew, of any of this when the movie released, or was this all news to you? Uh, no, no. Like, why would I be? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. That's what I'm asking. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, 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 no, no, no. Okay. I, I mean, I feel like, um, possibly I might have been aware of the Lord Miller thing. Okay. And, um, and that could have been like through listening to podcasts or it could have been through listening to you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Because we, we, we were doing the podcast at the time. We were at this yeah. point, yeah. We, I was bracing for the possibility of having to cover this. I still, yeah. like, hadn't quite been, like, grappled with the state of the Star Wars fandom at that stage. I'm like, maybe this will make it in just based on how much Star Wars fans like nostalgia? I don't know. Um, but that is a nice segue then into asking the three questions to get us started. So, Luke, <laughs> do you think that Solo, a Star Wars story, belongs on a list of either... The 100 worst or the 250 best movies of all time? No, like obviously no. Like it's been, it's been surgically, as you just said, surgically delivered in such a way that it will avoid either of those possibilities. <laughs> um, and Andrew, what about yourself? No, no, it's uh, it's 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 just sort of a kind of a disappointment, I guess the movie like you 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 just want it to maybe be a little bit better but also you can't really imagine accuse it, it of of, a, of being bad like truly bad yeah yeah that is that is the thing yeah that's the the ron howard thing howard you've I done mean, it I, again i i think there there are things you can say about this movie like um you can say negative things about this movie all right but i think overall it's kind of um perhaps um has has enough where you n- no you certainly can't call it one of the 100 worst no. movies of all time i mean I, again part of me is like if you were doing that the, the argument what the movie 
yeah. it's just a bit flawed. Yeah. I mean, again, like, this is the thing where when I saw it, my immediate reaction was, like, I was gobsmacked that it was in any way competent. Like, that was the thing. Like, given the movie's production, given everything that I'd heard about it, I was, like, shocked and horrified that this was a movie that was competent. Uh, like, that it was, you know, I mean, I... we'll talk about stuff that I actively like about the movie into the spoiler zone, but that, it, like, it cohered. It, it You watched it and you didn't feel like you were watching four or five different movies being sutured together. I kind of disagree okay. with that. Okay, all right. I feel like the, the worst thing about this movie is its storytelling. Um and it it's it's kind of um I, I, I there 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 are things which are kind of like well trodden kind of um kind of takes on this movie that like will will maybe like briefly but I I, I think they speak to kind of like the the I'm not in, saying the it's a incompetence I guess oh, yeah. in in some ways of, of of this but I don't blame Ron Howard for it nor do I blame kind of um Alden Ehrenreich or anybody I, like that. I think I think some of those issues they probably would have ran into anyway, and I and again we can talk about this after the spoiler zone. But I think that the part of the reason that they would have been having issues with Lord and Miller and all of that to begin with, I think, is because I think that the clarity on what a Han Solo movie should be is more confused than they had anticipated. <laughs> Because yeah. Han Solo is such a popular character and people respond so well to the idea of Han Solo that, again, on the face of it, you go, Han Solo, solo movie, the backstory. Money. Yeah, perfect. And But then when you actually sit down to go, but what would a Han Solo movie be? I don't think, if you ask 10 people that, I don't think you would get the same answer back 10 times. Yeah. And I think that that kind of feeds into the storytelling issues that this movie ends right. up having. No, I was going to say I th- I think it it half kind of does. It's very it's conf- it, 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 it 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 it's confused about I think what it's trying to achieve for the character of Han yeah. Solo. I definitely and, think so. Yeah, I, I think it, Darren, it's it, possibly because I think I was anticipating a bigger trainer as well before I went to see this four years yeah. ago, and I've not I've not seen it since. Uh, going into this rewatch, I was kind of a little bit nervous that it was going to be bad. And again, I was—I was, I wouldn't say I was pleasantly surprised. I was kind of numbly surprised. <laughs> well, I mean, like again, not. But, not, but not, I not, think not, okay, sorry. I think this would have been after this was after Suicide Squad, right? That was two thousand seven. Yeah, Suicide Squad was two thousand sixteen. So I think for 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 guys like you and me, that and Fantastic That's Four, yeah. Fantastic Four, like those Terminator Genesis again, as well. When you're when you're reading the trades and the the story on the back end seems so similar in terms of the production being a mess. Yeah, that's what you that's what you and I would have been expecting going into this, yeah. regardless of Ron Howard or regardless of the fact that again at the end of the day it is it is Disney, they are pretty good at product. <laughs> so even if the product isn't great, they are pretty good at pulling like they would have liked to pull further into the direction that they wanted to go yeah with the production schedule and with the timing with the problems that they had they got to about somewhere in the middle which is i guess par you know i mean like not to jump into the discussion that we're gonna have uh next year and i'm sorry luke we are gonna have it next what? year <laughs> um but like I, like i remember going to see like the rise of skywalker and being like this probably oh, won't be so me. bad <laughs> because i've seen like solo like the floor on the rise of skywalker is surely solo and it's like it turns out that like the rise of skywalker is the movie that i went into solo expecting it to be when, when Darren sense. said we'll be back next year i, I didn't even immediately click into my head <laughs> what would be talking 
And even now, I'm like, do we not fucking do that one already? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm putting that one as, as far far away as possible. We may do the prequels beforehand. Jim but Fox do Baby Geniuses 3, The Secret of the Tomb, <laughs> next year's Christmas oh, Star Wars man. episode. And the womb, secret of the, the womb. Secret of the um, but yeah, I think if like you could maybe make an argument for this as a movie that is indicative of a larger pop culture trends, you could say that this is like this is the movie that gets you to movies like The Rise of Skywalker, and maybe as for some reason it belongs on a list of the worst movies of all time because what? it's I'm indicative. I'm looking of... forward to talking about The Rise of Skywalker because I think I've said to you several yes. times. It's just like another Star Wars. Movie. Yes, <laughs> it's the same as all the other ones. But it, um, it's like. Rise of Skywalker is like one of those pictures that you, know, <laughs> a, you look at it for a while and then suddenly <laughs> you see something rotten in the heart of it. it it's funny though. The, the thing, sometimes, sometimes the criticism, the criticisms that people make of, of the Rise of Skywalker is just like, you're talking about every Sky, <laughs> Star Wars movie here. Um, yeah, but anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like you could maybe make an argument for Solo as the point at which like studios begin to think that they can do this and this becomes the norm for blockbuster filmmaking. But I think that arguably we already passed that. We talked last week about like Tomorrowland. So I don't think it's notable in any way that merits being on either. Oh, cinema is long dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, all right then. And Luke, would this be on your own personal 250 favorite movies or 100 most hated movies of all time? Do you think about this movie at all? <laughs> no, I literally have not thought about this since I saw it back in 2018 or whatever it was. I think if you were to, like, it, I, I, I think it just, as soon as we stop recording, I will never think about it again. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you were to make a list of, like, the 250 most okay, like, if that were in any way quantifiable. <laughs> like, it's just this, like... Statistically fine. It's just this, like, black hole of, of mediocrity that, like, just everything kind of sucked like, into. This is nestled between the Ant-Man movies, is it? Uh, the Ant-Man uh, Ant movies are different. And the, okay. they're, kind oh, of, they're kind of the er example of what I think Marvel is, is going for with their product, in that while you are watching them, you are having a good time, and the minute that you leave, You've forgotten about that. <laughs> uh, whereas this, you're, you're only sometimes having a good time. Never, never really having a bad time. Sometimes you're bored. And then the minute it's gone, it's like, uh, yeah, it didn't happen. And again, Why am I, I in think, a cinema? I think Disney don't loathe that they didn't make a huge amount of money out of this. But I think that they did kind of arrive at the best worst outcome or the worst best outcome <laughs> in the end. <laughs> Um, and Andrew, what about yourself? Would this be on either of those lists personally for you? Your least favorite or most favorite movies? No, no, I, 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 I don't think it would. No, uh, no, no, neither. Like it, it's not as kind of like laughably bad as like um, that you would want it on Bad Movie Island. Nor, nor does it do anything that I want the movie to do for me. Does it make you laugh? Does it make you cry? Does no. it make you think? No, it's not about anything, really. Kind of well, it, 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 it not not in any way that really kind of like touches <laughs> Means anything, the, yeah. my 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 depths. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, no, I mean it. It is about two hours and fifteen minutes long. That's what it's about. <laughs> um, and and for myself, yeah, same answer. No, I I I do not think about this movie. I occasionally think about this movie when I have to think about Star Wars as a franchise and remember that it exists. But even then, it's like I have no take on this aside from my take is that there's no take. Uh, and that's me. I have takes on everything. 
All right then, and then final. Maybe you should ask these questions before we record. (laughs) And then (laughs) (laughs) just not record. Probably should have been like a a a a TV show, like a like a Disney Plus streaming show. Yeah, yeah. Again, like Andrew, you should work for Disney because again, I'm sure, sure that came up. Um, well, I mean, you know that that Aaron Wright is going back to Disney. He's working on Ironheart. He's gonna be. He's gonna have a supporting role in the TV show. Oh, Ironheart. they all go back. You see, well, this is what happens yeah. when they own fucking everything. Is that you always end up back there in like, the end? Donald Glover is like he's in on, the Disney machines. He's from on Atlanta. Star. Yeah, he's in Marvel. He's 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 in um, the Star Wars yeah. universe. He's also. Um, in uh the Disney Disney like Lion King, he's um yeah, he he's, he's It's impossible to be a working actor and not, I suppose, is the thing. Well no, no, but they 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 have their people. Yeah. They're, 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 and and like rightly so with Donald Governor <laughs> <laughs> look at him and, and 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 he 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 doesn't harm his brand either by yes, working which is with, quite remarkable with, with, yeah. with Disney. Yeah. You know, that he, he goes in and manages to, like, keep his integrity, um, I guess. Which is quite, quite impressive there as well. And then, um, so, yeah, and then final question, I guess, Luke, if listeners have not seen Solo A Star Wars Story or do not remember having seen Solo A Star Wars Story, <laughs> would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? I recommend that they pause and just sit for a minute and think and really think. <laughs> Did I see that one? <laughs> what Darren said Woody Harrelson's in it what? yeah I forgot that like there is <laughs> since watching the movie <laughs> since watching like... it originally <laughs> yeah. and there's other actors in this that I was like what I forgot that they're in this so listeners just stop and think did I watch that one yeah and then see what see what you come up with if the answer is no then I don't know no <laughs> <laughs> All right, and Andrew, what about yourself? No, no, I wouldn't recommend like people watch this. I think like like um, watch another Ron Howard movie. Watch Rush. Yes, uh, Rush is very good. Yeah, um, watch another kind of Star Wars movie of this time. Watch Rogue uh, Squadron. Rogue One. Rogue, Rogue Squadron one. doesn't exist. Rogue Squadron doesn't exist. <laughs> Rogue One. Paddy Rogue Jenkins one. put on rollerblades and skated around an X-Wing for Rogue Squadron. <laughs> like that, it's amazing that that movie will never exist, but there's still a video of Paddy Jenkins rollerblading around an X-Wing I, to announce you know it. What, See, this though, is the thing, is that the in some ways, those things are more important. for It's more important for them I, to announce it. Because again, they're, they're a publicly traded company. Yes. They, I, they don't do it for the fans. They're doing it for stuff like that. And if if you have to announce the cancellation of a project down the line, that's kind of okay because you could just announce a new a new one, you know, <laughs> and, right. and 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 the shareholders are happy and the the clock keeps kind of ticking over, you know. Since we're in the in the business of extending this conversation of a movie nobody can remember anything about, do you want to guess how many Ron Howard movies have been on the two fifty in its entire history? How many? Let's let's see if we can put okay. a figure. Closest without going over. I'll, I'm going to say five. Okay, Luke. How many well, Ron Howard ever movies? or currently ever? Five sounds like a good number for ever. Okay, do you want to go with how many are currently then? I'm gonna say. You see, you're now. You now. The, the fact that you're asking makes me think it's gonna be a lot. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say seven. Seven ever or seven now? 
both. Go big and go home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Andrew, you win. It was six. A total of six Ron Howard movies well, have been on the list. You said closest. Okay. Without going yeah, over. Do do anybody do you want to do a round and see, let's let's I'm gonna until one of you gets it wrong. Well, so, I I get to go first because you've already done one of these movies. So yes, Andrew, which movie, which Ron Howard movie have we talked about on this podcast? <laughs> no, I'm going. I I I I I I I don't think I get any. Do I get? I don't get any points for saying Rush because we've already we've already covered Rush. Yeah. So um, Apollo Eleven. I'm going to give you Apollo 13. Apollo 13. <laughs> Apollo 11 was when they crashed into the moon. <laughs> okay, so Apollo yes. Apollo 13. Sorry, Apollo 13 sorry, sorry. was yeah. on there. Okay, just for that, I think Luke maybe gets a do-over. Tom, if he... Tom Hanks. Uh, yeah, Harry Sinise. So that, okay, that's one of the six. So what other Ron Howard movie do you think has been or is on? So we've got Rush and we've got Apollo 13. Gotta be a beautiful mind. That's two fifty all over. Yes, uh, a beautiful mind is the only other Ron Howard matter that is currently on the list alongside Rush. That's a proper two fifty. Yes, yeah. movie right, right yeah, to its yeah. bone. Okay, so Average. back to <laughs> <laughs> back back to Andrew. So can you name one of the three remaining movies? From Ron Howard. From Ron Howard. Ron Howard, the most defining filmmaker of our time, most distinctive (laughs) visual stylist, one of the great auteurs. I can't believe these aren't dropping off your tongue. I feel like um, I'm going to probably get annoyed with myself when I when I hear some of them. But I'm I'm going to say I don't think this is right. But I'm going to say Splash. Sorry, Andrew, you lose. Flash is never on the two. Never on the two. Yeah, you see, I didn't feel like it was. But (laughs) anyway, Uh, Luke, do you want to do you want to take a go? Just take this home. Ron Howard. I'm trying to think because, like, I I can't think that movies of it. Uh, Beautiful Mind seemed like a slam yeah. to me, but other than that, I'm thinking like some of these are quite two fifty ish. In fact, it goes so far to say two of them are quite two fifty ish. Two of the three are. Very Frost right. Nixon's a bit two fifty ish. Is that? Yes! Like, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's see. Okay, so you got not your dad move, not a dad movie, but like <laughs> if your dad didn't have you. <laughs> Childless, sad, um, aging. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I'll, I'll drop the other two the other two are ransom from 1996 give me back my son give me back my son um well, and, oh yeah okay that yeah okay and and then finally nobody was gonna get this one cinderella man from 2005 see that's on the list now that's on the list now russell crowe paul giamatti <laughs> How do these things cling on when actual good movies fall off? Like, well, that's not. No, on no, the that, list that's now. not currently no, in. Okay, but like uh, that, that, that was only on the list for like two and a half years. Russian and Beautiful Mind. Russian and Beautiful Mind are like perennials yeah, on the list. Right, okay. No hillbilly elegy, no. No hillbilly <laughs> elegy, unfortunately, did not make the list. I am sad to report. That's just a liberal bias. On the two fifty. <laughs> Thank you, Mister Vance. Uh, and for myself, I would probably not recommend watching this. Just watch The Last Jedi again. Uh, read a Wikipedia summary. Uh, imagine what a Han Solo movie is in your head. Uh, and you'll be able to follow us to the other side of the spoiler zone. Zone. So, Luke, and I do not envy you answering this question. <laughs> What is Solo a Star Wars story about for you? Again, Solo a Star Wars story is, in theory, it's about a very simple thing. 
who is Han Solo and where did he come from? The unfortunate problem that the Han Solo movie has is that it's not really sure who Han Solo is, and it, nobody really cares where he came from. <laughs> that's 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 the issue that this movie has. I think particularly because of the whole director kerfuffle and because of the uh, lack of clarity from the top about what the Han Solo brand means to them. <laughs> You, you, you get this very confused and, like, s from a storytelling point of view, as Andrew was kind of alluding to earlier, completely hollow story about how Han Solo came to be that really just grabs at these kind of surface-level things that are either ridiculous or completely meaningless or both. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I think we probably talked about this on a previous recording, but I think you can kind of sum that up in the use of the fucking dice that's just. I'm sorry yes. to cover my swearing, but that's just. What oh no, we're, we're now we're now we're now explicit on the Apple Store. So, oh uh, great! Fuck, that's great news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can have like. I, I will. Nudity. I will. Yeah. I will miss violence, violence even. Yeah. <laughs> I will miss your creative attempts to to cover up. You know, I don't. <laughs> what would you What would no. you have used for this movie? That's why we're not covering up. I know it's an audio <laughs> medium, but but no, but, uh, but Luke, Luke can see the video. <laughs> <laughs> Thank the, you. <laughs> the use of like Han Solo's iconic dice charm bracelet thing that was in the Last Jedi as well that they keep like just holding the camera on to be like ah when was, the famous when did that become a this, thing? This is I swear <laughs> this is just this is messing with my head because you you I still I hold this as a fact now that they they that was introduced for the Last Jedi and this it wasn't in the original trilogy but every single time that I see it I'm like. But like it, why would they? Why otherwise would they show it? It must have been like it's this so, is, and it means nothing. It, but it's a they, joke. It's a, it's a joke. It's a production design joke. The idea is that people hang dice uh, off their car mirrors, and so Han holds dice off a spaceship, and it's like ha ha ha, it's funny. But they make such a big thing of it. But it's like, why is this mythology? <laughs> yeah, that's it exactly. Why is this a mythology reason, thing as opposed to like just a gag? Sorry, Andrew. the reason is mythology is that like with Star Wars movies, you can take old movies and just like insert things into them <laughs> like you know because there's like form for it's yeah. like i'm going to i'm going to have like a a a scene with um with jabba the hot even though he was played by a chubby man in like a bad wig, we're going to we're still yeah. going to superimpose over a cgi I'm slug. sure they've gone back and put this the dice in all of the in, in the original um, uh, trilogy, no, I'm I'm pretty sure the dice did exist in the original trilogy. Like I know, yeah, I, oh no, but they... I'm sure they've 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 put far more. <laughs> Maybe there were dice there, but like you 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 wouldn't notice them. No, they were there as a gag. That's exactly. They were there as a gag. Like they were there as like a production design gag. This, see, this is the problem that they get is that they when I think when Disney bought Star Wars, right? I think. That, I mean, we've talked before. Star Wars is like the biggest fucking franchise thing. Like, and again, it wasn't an unreasonable assumption that they had. <laughs> but I think the things like this, they're like, oh, everyone knows the dice. And so, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> or like, people really want to know where Hong got his last name. So, I thought it was just his last name. Yeah, like, it's yeah. Skywalker. Like, you don't need to explain and why Luke Skywalker is called Skywalker. That was the one thing that I think was more interesting to be watching it this time, watching it last time, because you have the added, the added 
brain scraping thing that is the the the, the, the rise the, of skywalker the rise of skywalker yeah because they yeah. do that same thing in that with at the very end where ray's like i'm skywalker and like to you you can tell therefore that to them this concept has a lot of significance and they really <laughs> think that this is like cool and good the idea of like taking a taking it these names you know and 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 and, and sounding them out phonetically it, they sound like words it does set up a prequel where like in in the solo a star wars story movie we learn how he got his surname solo but you have to go to the prequel to discover like how did he become Han? Yeah, the prequel to the prequel. Like, yeah. Why did Lady Proxima call him Han? Yeah. She could have called him anything. Exactly. It's because he has such small hands. Good for thieving. It's clearly one yeah. of his. Yeah. Well, like, I, I don't want to spoil. Oh, fair, fair point. Fair point like, fair I, point. I, I, like, we have a team of writers working around the clock <laughs> cracking this bad boy. I, I, I really want to know what they come but, up with. But I mean, like, that. But, that, the, 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 but the whole thing about kind of. Um, you have a sort of a um, in in the in the original trilogy. You have this kind of um, arc for um, um, Han Solo, where he is this kind of um, a cynical, kind of grizzled character, who, self-interested, um, yeah. who's self-interested, who overcomes that. And kind of, you know... Be, Becomes be, the hero he was always meant to be. Exactly. That awakened in, in himself. Luke but talked the, very well about that on this, Empire, I think. You know. Yeah. And th- that this should be a um, a film about him becoming that kind of... Uh, Grizzled character. And it yeah. kind of isn't. But see, that, Unless, I think... Is you're part a good of what, man, Han. You're a good man. That, that, that I, I think, is part of what makes this a harder task to really delve with than it seems at first glance. Because... They're, the tonal issues that come up in this movie don't just come from who directed what footage or whatever. It comes from the fact that you've got this lovable scoundrel character as people know him in one yeah. thousand point yes. of time. Yeah. And yet the point that you have to bring him to to get him to where he is at the start of A New Hope yeah. is, is a more cynical kind of... Yeah. It's not this like fun-loving kind of wacky kind of thing and you have this story that at points is building to quite a downer ending and is kind of setting up why this character would become cynical and hardened and yet it can't quite do that because that's not doesn't really commit to it because it's not fun and, and it literally it has a downer ending and then has another scene awkwardly welded right after yeah. that you you have, he was and always hand solo yeah, and like, he, yeah. So, like you, you build to this ending where he's betrayed by Amelia Clark, and he's heartbroken, and he has to kill his mentor, and but like realizes his mentor was kind of right, and kind of steps into this role as this kind of on the inside sweet guy who's just crying on the inside, but, but who's yeah. hardened by his experiences. Yeah. And then the yeah. next time we see him, it's like wackadoo. Well, he's hanging out with Chewbacca. They have their yeah, hands like, together on the like. Again, not not to jump He's into what hand, this handing over like his booty. Where where like like the hard one wisdom is that like you're on your own in this world and that you yeah. can't trust anyone and you're all out for each other and and you can be like a triumph and taking all the kind of like booty booty away. 
Um, but instead, he's giving it to charity. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's such that, a nice guy. I think that that angle is kind of interesting in that with the... And again, it's, it's, it's a mixed bag, but like with the idea of him helping this nascent rebellion, kind of even though he doesn't really have any skin in the game, and even with the robot revolution that is accidentally kicked off in the middle of the movie, <laughs> they're, they're kind of grasping at this idea of, you know, this, uh, this guy getting involved in the revolution, whether he wants to or not, and kind of uh, inadvertently being drawn to this idea. You know, but mm. they don't want to. They, I, I don't think that they realize how closely they're circling that, and I think they're so nervous about hitting the branding points exactly that they'd rather have characters say things out loud, like "He is arrogant, isn't he?" or "That was impressive <laughs> oh. when he does something impressive," or <laughs> there, "You are you're a, a good, good man." man. <laughs> There's some uh, very clumsy exposition. Like, uh, exposition City there. is one of the notes that I have. Like it's very. <laughs> The opening is like a really badly handled oh, thing in, in terms of how you introduce these characters and, the, and how they relate to each other, you know? You have the coaxium? That's what we need to buy our way out of the control zone. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is very useful. Yeah. <laughs> From a storytelling be, yeah. point of view, it, it, it really gives the movie a big problem for me off because all of the exp- all of the exposition and all of the backward stuff in Star Wars doesn't fucking matter at all. That's for the fans yeah. to care about, you know. Like, they get to know what Axiom and Quaxium and all that shit is, you know. And and who is important in the criminal underground of whatever fucking planet they're on. What's important to us is the relationship between the characters. And these two characters have no chemistry because they're awkwardly explaining who they are to each other to you. <laughs> the chemistry is when a problem. It yeah. is a big problem, I think. Uh, particularly with what they're trying to, what the story that they're trying to tell. They should have a kind of a more femme fatale kind of a thing if that's what the, the route that they want to go with it. But they don't want to make... They, her, Amelia Clark's character is totally confused, totally. They don't she know... It's kind of nice. Until the final couple of minutes when yeah, they realize, oh no, there has to be a betrayal which, to make which, Han seem dark and edgy to, to explain why he's jaded. Sorry, but it doesn't. It doesn't feel like a betrayal to us, the audience. Like it doesn't feel like a big reveal. It just feels confusing. You're yes. trying. You're, mm. you're trying to be like, well, like, so was like, did she actually? She, like, she's given so much to Han. It's like this is a weird twist for her. There, as a, like she never seems like. And then another twist. There's yeah. like, oh, um, I'm not on your side, Han, but I am on your side. But I'm also not. Um, it's 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 kind of like like she either is or she isn't. Like, should he feel glad that she's <laughs> gone, or or should he be sad that she's gone? Like like. Well, I I suppose there's maybe there's in like an intentional ambivalence there, but it, and it's it's funny because I think that there's a clear roadmap for what you could, you know you, surely you try and do the Casablanca thing with this right like you. <laughs> well, that's exactly what the movie's going for, where she flies away and it's Luke and Han, sorry Han and Chewbacca, and Chewbacca puts his hand on Luke, oh, sorry on Han's shoulder like she put the hand earlier on, and like like it that's like kind of funny how there's this he has this emotional moment and then. We were watching it together, and then like a film prop, kind of just like, <laughs> like a fluffy hand goes on his shoulder. But, and... but not to like backseat write a movie because uh, clearly it's it's pretty hard. But the idea of doing the Casablanca thing, but with a femme fatale that is betraying mm. you, I think that that that's kind of a that that would believably take the character to 
I'm on my own, you know, I'm cynical, I'm not in it to do good things, I, I'm only looking out for myself, I don't care about helping people, blah, 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 you know? Instead, they kind of, they, they, they want to say that he's a good guy because we know who he is, like, we know who the character is by the end of the Star Wars trilogy. Um, yeah. what's, why, are you, why are you telling a prequel at all, then, if you, if you just want to be with the character as he is at the end of the story? Well, I mean- like again, not not to jump too much on this, but like the thing with for me is like if you're asking me what it's about, it's about a, a guy who gets left by his girlfriend but discovers he has a big furry girlfriend who he can hang out with. Like this is a movie that is trying simultaneously to do the thing where it's like, oh, this is why he's closed off and why he has the relationship that he has with Leia and why she has to peel him like kind of layers of an onion. But it's also like you remember Han and Chewie hanging out. So it becomes this weird story where it's like Han's true girlfriend is Chewbacca, where they like shower together, they like take in the views together. Han takes Chewbacca to meet his real girlfriend Chewbacca's not really impressed with her she betrays Han but who's there at the end it's Chewbacca the closing shot of the movie is the two of their hands touching each other on the console as they push forward together like I wonder if that's one of the because we've never really had the specifics kind of shake out from from Lord and Miller for obvious reasons but I wonder was that angle like when you think of like 21 Jump Street in that I wonder was that a big part of what they were trying to do because that's kind of there, but then kind of not, you know? Yeah. And if you think, like, if you're kind of going to tell an entertaining story about Han Solo and you don't have Harrison Ford, what you do have is people like Chewbacca, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but this movie is in such a rush to be like, this is what's going on with Amelia Clark, and this is... What, whose side is Woody Harrelson on? And you're kind of like, I don't, I don't I really don't care. Like, <laughs> I really would like more Beckett, Chewbacca. fan favorite character, Beckett. I mean, it's a, the, 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 the issue kind of, the, the issue of kind of canon that I kind of brought up uh, earlier, I think it's not only a problem because of like stuff that we know already that kind of gets in the way of this movie kind of, and I, I, I think it's possible to tell like a compelling story using things that you already know about characters and then kind of like um, saying like, right, instead of like, um, if, if if this, then that, it's kind of like, then that. Um, um, so this may, I don't know. Yeah, yeah no, but the, the, where, where, where you kind of like backwards engineer their, their, their. Oh, their where you retroactively kind, of, kind of try and explain yeah, why. Yeah, yeah. When, where in, in. In a way that it it, it, it kind of like um, makes sense, yeah. but 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 also there, there, there's a problem in that like this movie introduces things where you're kind of left thinking about them. Um, you're thinking about characters in a different way, where uh, she, she, Chewbacca like one hundred percent ate people <laughs> <laughs> and ripped arms off. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, he did. He he, he he does rip arms off. Like we see him, him do that, that in the in the, in the movie. Um, but also he 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 eats people. Yeah, like and then he just showers with Han afterwards, and it just all that sin just washes off him. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, like that. Okay, you mentioned like the canon stuff, and I mean, I think you're, I think if you're I right. I think eat you, they won't feed me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a difficult situation for me. <laughs> like, like there, I think there are good examples. I think like say uh, Better Call Saul is a good example of like a recent example of that, where it's like reverse engineering and finding yeah. a way to turn the comic relief from this show into like the one of the most tragic characters on television. Oh yeah, yeah, but, and it, like it, it's it's a it's it should be kind of like 
like rich terrain for somebody to kind of um, uh, play around with. But uh, you you somehow end up doing stuff that sort of and it it it, it can become a, a a very kind of a, a nerdy um thing where it's like oh uh, luke skywalker would never do that or oh this doesn't han fit solo with x or han solo yeah. said the millennium falcon was powered by a hyperdrive here he calls it a mega drive <laughs> they didn't do their homework yeah sure there, there's like, that yeah. stuff which is which is kind of like less important but they're, they're, they and it's okay for for like characters to go in kind of like different directions that you're unfamiliar with because people change and they develop and that's what makes kind of like stories interesting yeah. in the first place but to to have stuff that isn't really doesn't really feel true to to um to the character or doesn't really kind of like get you along the way that you you you'd kind of want them to yeah. or, or I mean, reveal I, something interesting yeah about about the character I mean I think like, like Luke Luke is quite right in that like Han Solo is an interesting character because the public perception of Han Solo it's very different from the character if you go back and actually watch those movies and what is actually interesting about Ford's performance in those movies. Like, I, I still am very fond of The Force Awakens, despite the issues with The Rise of Skywalker and despite the fact it's arguably ground zero for the cultural hellscape in which we live today. But I, I do really like about that movie is the idea that it presents, like, Han, like, not as this swaggering, badass space hero, like pop culture has kind of imagined him, but the way that, like, Ford played him which is this guy who's not very good at any of the stuff that he does and is kind of like insecure and awkward and doesn't really understand what he's doing or why he's doing it and I think like that works well but that's not the popular image of like Han Solo if you ask as we said if you ask 10 people on the street they'd never describe Han Solo that way even though I argue that's consistently how Ford plays him and I think that one of the big issues with Solo is that you are you are taking Ford out of the equation here because Ford is at this stage is never going to play him again. Uh, the passing of Carrie Fisher obviously means that they force his hand and he ends up playing the role in The Rise of Skywalker but Ford is at this point as far as he's concerned done with the role but it's like what happens if you take away that element of like Ford's performance from it and you end up with just this really generic archetype that is as Luke said impossible to reconcile. Well I, I do think that I I I didn't like Ehrenreich. 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 I do think that his his performance, like Andrew, I kind of liked it. Like, and I kind of felt like it was in keeping with how Han actually is in those original movies. Like, he is this kind of making it up as he goes along. What kind of comedic character? What kind? Yeah, comedic, and like he's he's a he's a bullshit artist, but an unconvincing bullshit artist. Like people don't tend to 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 buy buy what he says and yet it kind of works out anyway and that's kind of that's what makes him lovable and stuff you know is, mm. is what that's part of what makes the stuff with Amelia Clark so confused to me because it's kind of like what just this character like when you I think particularly when you have such a strong comparison with the Han Solo and Leia relationship yeah and you have such a clear understanding of what the attraction between these two is based on, you know, and, and Leia is kind of in, attracted to Han Solo in spite of herself, you know. Yeah. And then you yeah. look at Amelia Clark and it's like, what? Why are you interested in this guy? What, what does he offer? Or are you interested in him at all? Like, the, 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 they can't really land on a convincing answer with that. Can, yeah. what, like, why is it valuable to her that he's a good uh, person? Man. You know, because she is um 
you know, she is somebody whose um, ambitions are, are, are for doing evil. <laughs> well, for, in the final third of the movie, yes. <laughs> like that, that's, that is in like, the final I, third of her final scene. <laughs> yeah, that is fair. Uh, but like, like can, can, I, can I throw something out there about Aaron, yeah. right? What, sorry. Uh, what I wanted to ask, like, the thing that struck me watching the movie, and it's not some, it's something I'm not sure if I like, like, or if I admire, or if I respect, or whatever it is. But it it seems at times that he's doing a Jack Nicholson impersonation more than he's doing a Harrison Ford impersonation. Which is it? Like, was I, I the that, only one who got that? I think he is doing a Harrison Ford impression to an extent. I think he's trying. I think again, when you've got people kind of pulling you to the side and be like, you need to be more like Harrison Ford. I think that's kind of inevitable. I think maybe he definitely he looks more like Jack Nicholson than he looks like Harrison Ford, which might be part of it. And then when you're kind of doing some of the same like stuff, the same fate, like you can't just this is the problem that some of these legacy character perform like you can't just do an impression of of well, I, I, <laughs> I guess that's what Ewan McGregor does, kind of, with, 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 Alec with Guinness. his kind of Alec Guinness Im- impression. While it doesn't really sound like Alec Guinness, I guess, it, it, it is that sort of um, English accent. And, like, obviously Donald Glover is just totally doing a very Billy cheap, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, successful impersonation. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> he's very good. He is, He's but like in a, in a in a in a way that clearly the the execs were like, well, this one's a wash. Like we can't, <laughs> we, we 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 really not not in the sense that they think it's bad. I think okay. that they because I mean, look, look, Luke, they were talking about like a Lando Calrissian solo project when this movie came out. I know they were. I know they were. That's the first. Kathleen Kennedy was like, look, we're going to do a trilogy of hand movies, I, and we I got don't a know Lando. why they can't do that. And furthermore, I don't know why they can't do more solo movies. Like they, they, people. I I feel like, um, movie making is so kind of. They feel like they can deduce things from box office numbers, and that it's not an exact science like that. That they 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 made they made a disappointing solo movie, but I don't think that means that they can't make a very good second solo movie with Alden Ehrenreich. The, like I, I, I think if they if they went back to the drawing board and said that wasn't a complete disaster. Ron Howard kind of saved our bacon. We 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 did we did lose a bit of money on that, but I think there's enough kind of positive kind of feeling about uh, Glover, Star Wars and about the character of Han Solo that people will want to see a um a Han Solo movie. We had made we had made plans. We think Alden Ehrenreich is still is is good. We 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 think Donald Glover is good. Um, we know people are excited about Maul. Um, no longer more there. Maul. Yeah. Um, I guess the problem is though that they don't think Ehrenreich is good. Like if they're bringing in acting coaches and stuff, I I see them being like it just isn't worth the hassle of trying to go can, through all this. Can stuff. I throw but a pitch? I, okay. I, I I think they use kind of like box office logic. Yeah, I, I think I think they like, do. This, they this do a movie. Must it, it? It can't be us. Like it's this. Movie it's not our meddling that did this. It's because they didn't. Yeah, it, it's yeah, because yeah. there's something. Let, interesting let's like. never give this any money ever uh, again. Well, can I throw an idea? At, like, but that happens all the time, though. That that kind of pattern where they're like, "Well, we've learned our lesson." 
Um, <laughs> and the lesson just happens to be highly selective. Like, yeah. Kathleen Kennedy has talked about this. Do you know what the lesson they learned from Solo was? It's the most depressing lesson imaginable. I have a feeling Luke can guess what this is. But it's basically Kathleen Kennedy. I feel like this lesson is what leads us to get CGI. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Kathleen Kennedy has said in interviews, like the reason why they use CGI Mark Hamill in like The Mandalorian uh, and The Book of Boba Fett is because they the lesson that Disney learned from Solo was that they can't just recast legacy characters. You can't just hire actors, and ex- which sounds, again, makes it sound like, as, as Andrew said, a really mean way of talking about Ehrenreich. But it's like, yeah, you can't just hire these actors and have them play iconic roles. Audiences won't buy that. So what Disney has obviously learned is let's render CGI versions of these characters. But what I Lando could totally, by the way, have have done. Do you do you remember that we predicted the Lando Calrissian hip opera? Uh, yeah, which uh, which which became a thing. Yeah, I think thanks to thanks to Saturday Oscar. Night Live and us. Yeah, and like part of me wonders if in like fifteen years' time, like what happened with the prequels, where they were like universally reviled when they came out, were usually controversial. People thought they were sacrilegious. But you had this kind of wave of nostalgia that leads to like Ahmed Best hosting Jedi Temple Challenge and like Obi-Wan Kenobi starring Hayden Christensen and obviously um, Ewan McGregor. Like in 15 years, will we see like Alden Ehrenreich coming back for a Disney Plus streaming show? Or perhaps more likely, like I suspect Lando Calrissian played by Donald Glover for six episodes the, on Disney Plus. The problem with Lando though, and this is where I, I, I say they might have seen it just as a wash, is that I think that they have an understanding that people's popular perception of Lando Calrissian as a character is basically an is like this like very exaggerated like hello you know it's it is <laughs> even though Billy D isn't playing it comedic he's playing it with a looseness that allows yeah. Donald Glover to step in and, and just have it be comedic and have it be okay whereas I think that part of the whole kerfuffle with this movie is that you know Aaron Reich is obviously given a brief to be comedic and be loose and have fun with it. And then they were seeing dailies and they were going like, what's this? <laughs> Fans are going to be mad at us. <laughs> Fans are going to say things about respect. I think you could totally do that and then have like the end of the, the sorry. And, and by the way, like I can't write movies. Uh, but but I, I think you, you we can't can... confirm our NDAs are watertight, unfortunately, this moment in time. <laughs> but you can have that kind of loose comedic kind of take on 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 everything. I, I and, totally and, and think then, that you can. Yeah. I think that they don't think that they can. And I think they're worried that the Internet or like Disney is a company that is weirdly for a company that makes billions and billions of dollars. It is beholden to their fans. That, that's it. It's weirdly beho- it's like this is like a serious thing and like serious things are dark. Yeah. But, like, that, but that's the thing. It's like The, the Last Jedi, that's right? Is why the, I'm so deep. The, and, I like and profound. dark but things. The Last Jedi, right? Just this movie is dark compared to like the original trilogy. Like we say, the, the, there is a lot of like um, uh, harm. Brutality. Uh, brutality takes place in this movie. And and a lot of it doesn't really get much kind of time given yeah, to Yeah, to be us. unpacked or, or kind of like yeah. to be... To Andy to Newton's character Val, like, blows herself up. And I, I think that, like, L3 gets more 
Yeah, uh, it's pretty pretty shut up. Morning time and, later. Well, on. okay. Well, we'll, we'll talk about L. Like, yeah, I, I want to talk specifically about how what happens to L three because I feel like that that is something that maybe deserves to be unpacked. <laughs> but like to, to to bring it back to like the comedic thing, I think that like Lord and Miller had said they were pitching this like Gardens of the Galaxy. Yeah, that's what they wanted the movie to be, and they're like that movie made nearly a billion dollars. The sequel made nearly a billion dollars. How is this not something you can do with Star Wars? That is a Star Wars inflected movie. But I think that yeah, Disney are weirdly hostage to online opinions this is the this so like last jedi again just very briefly uh you know makes the highest grossing movie of its year a cinema score biggest selling blu-ray of the following year critics absolutely adore it it is the only disney production that does not run late run over budget or on on which there are no artistic conflicts whatsoever but some fans vocally online object to it and object to it very passionently so disney backs away yeah i mean uh, didn't didn't kill anybody with a lightsaber no, no, sorry, sorry. The the idea that there were no um, uh, artistic disagreements. Luke Skywalker, sorry, uh, Mark Hamill was was kind of outspoken on it. Yeah, he, he said I had a conversation with him. It's not like I stormed off set. Like he was, I think, and to be fair, I think Hamill kind of regrets now. And he said he said he regrets saying that. He did it. though was very kind of um, uh, like he 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 he, he was kind of like. Um, I don't know whether he was just kind of building interest in the movie, but he, he, he wasn't being like, I loved it, I agreed with everything they did. No, I, I, it, was, I, it was like the whole opposite of it. Yeah, I know, but he, and again, that's just the way that people used to talk about movies. Like, again, I'm using for the point of comparison here, like Josh Trank being fired from Boba Fett, uh, things like Colin Trevorrow being fired from Rise of Skywalker, things like the production of this movie, like what happened to Edwards on Rogue One. Those are the comparisons. Harrison Ford breaking his ankle and J.J. Abrams breaking his back. Yeah. on force awakens so the, the those are the comparisons wasn't the problem it was the the fan reception that 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 is that is what i would argue and this is the same year that like disney fired james gunn from guardians of the galaxy 3 because of the the online michael cernovich kind of driven um like twitter stuff that happens like disney are weirdly weirdly prone to or sensitive to like the force a, a disturbance in the force with the force being twitter they are, but I think that the big thing that is always hanging over their heads with Star Wars that you can see leading to a lot of indecision and a lot of back and forth is that they kind of bought these damaged goods when they bought Star Wars. The brand was at the point when Disney bought Star Wars. You know about George Lucas and the prequels and the reception. Yeah, it was dormant. It was kind of a joke. And in terms of online attitudes and stuff, it was very negative because yeah. of the prequels. And well, the people I versus think, George Lucas and, and I think guy. Yeah, yeah. And when they or when when they from Toy Story two, <laughs> but when <laughs> they when they bought Sorry. Star Wars, there was this huge like upswing of excitement and oh, they're going to save Star Wars and 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 again this kind of negative thing online of like <laughs> it's not it's not George Lucas can't ruin it anymore, which is again kind of shifted over time. I think that they are always hyper conscious of the idea that the fans are going to do a Phantom Menace on them, you know, and, and then they're going to go, and they already have <laughs> once with The Last Jedi. They're, I think they're hypersensitive to the idea of going wrong with this, in, and that informs their decision making in a way that it doesn't with, say, Marvel stuff, because the guy at the head of that, he's got hit you know hit after hit and there's there's a yeah. lot more uh trust in the audience that they've built up even with pixar like you mentioned andrew the the funny thing with pixar is that the way that the brand has built up over time 
any time that they do a bad one now or a middling one or whatever, it's not. It, it the question is always, is this the first bad one? People kind of forgot the last bad one. <laughs> the that the good seen. dinosaur, yeah. The the Star Wars public perception is a lot more. Uh, is this a good one? Seesaw than that, yeah, yeah, uh, and a lot more yeah. vulnerable. And they're they're a lot harder to please as well. Yeah, 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 and a lot more vulnerable to the idea of, you know. Jar Jar Binks and you know like be, being made fun of or being seen as bad or, or, or being seen as a huge disaster it would take a lot I think because I mean again in terms of people don't read the trades and they don't know every second Pixar movie somebody gets fired you know uh, yeah. or it has to be rejigged you know massively retooled uh, sometimes twice over but you know you're, you're, you're bringing your kid to your movie you and your kid don't know that at all Whereas when you're bringing your kid to see Han Solo and you've kind of got some kind of idea that things are going wrong, you're thinking Jar Jar Binks, you're starting to get worried. Maybe you don't buy the ticket, you know? I think that they are very finicky about it and very, very hands-on. Yeah. And again, we'll maybe talk about the other performances in a moment, but just while we're talking about like the prequelness of it, I... Again, this is this is very well trodden ground. We'll just cover it very quickly. But like the amount of this explains that moments in the movie, which are deeply frustrating, where it's that thing that you recognize. We pointed out the story of Han Solo, how Han Solo gets his name. There's I'm a moment. Say all that. What of Chewbacca? Yeah, as well. Like it's like I'm not. Yeah, I'm not gonna say Chewbacca every time. We're gonna need some sort of nickname. I I, I have it here. Now, I mean, the Han. Oh, you're Solo, are you? I guess you're now gonna be called <laughs> Han Solo. Like. Uh, that is really terrible. It's it. it this <laughs> movie is overall just average, but it's really that is awful. They're yes. so bad. I like would Han even remember that exchange? Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> like it has no meaning. It's so stupid. But I actually think that you're gonna need a nickname because I'm not gonna like it's clunkier and therefore worse. I think <laughs> like yeah. the. They kind like, of breeze through the and that's their first moment they of breeze freedom. through the solo like, one with confidence. You know, they really <laughs> thought that they had something there. They thought that they were going to get the fans in the audience going. Whoa. Yeah, the moment where the guy pauses and smiles to himself, satisfied. So, yeah, like, the yeah. guy in the scene is proud of the solo bit. The <laughs> Chewbacca. Well, that is your name, is it? Well, <laughs> sometimes when people have a name and it's long, that we the, what it is is that we. We do a shortened version, and in this case, yeah. Chewbacca, that is what I am gonna I'll, for you going to do because yeah. I do not wish to belabor the point. <laughs> every, every time you watch the Star Wars movies, and you're you're like, I'm really enjoying this, but I want to know how did the whole idea of a nickname come about? <laughs> like generally, I mean, <laughs> everybody else calls him Chewbacca. Why does Han call him Chewie? And it's like. Oh, it's because Chewbacca takes longer to say. I'm really like, glad think, that we spent this scene on this. The, it's funny, though, because it's like it, uh, Han Solo calling Chewbacca Chewie and then all of the other characters gradually doing it. It, it is one of those little underspoken, endearing things that yeah. I think people like at that time. It's like, it's like the accent shift with Han. And it gives them a fondness for that character, even though it's a big fursuit that goes, is that like, oh, hey, Chewie, you know? Chewie. Uh, <laughs> But the idea of like just and it is the first like yeah interaction that they have and and they don't get 
nearly enough because of yeah. you know yeah. you have to explain it. You you have to kill off another character like Pandiway Newton that we well, by don't the way, care about and has no connection to Han. It's like Rio dies as well. You have a face turn <laughs> later in the movie where Elphis Nest is like, "I kill your friends not because I'm a bad guy." But because I'm a good guy. <laughs> oh, all is forgiven. Uh, when you J- say so. Jonathan Kasdan like, likes those moments. There's a similar moment in Willow as well, where it's like, look, we killed the lovable old guy in the first episode, but we're all good guys now, aren't we? No. Yeah, it's so uh, strange. It's like jarring. It's like that, that, that like the whole like, the the idea that, I know this kind of stuff is, again, like, well-trodden. But the whole idea that's, um, uh, that Beckett has just kind of, like, like got over it very quickly. And then later on, it's like, um, you know, it, all right, let's kind of... It muddies the waters of the, the canon, like you were saying as well, Andrew. Because, mm. like, they, they, they constantly, in these uh, prequels and intercalls and stuff, they constantly, and because of the preoccupation on giving meaning to everything and giving yeah. you know, canon meaning to everything. They're Imbuing constantly, meaning, yeah. constantly with the rebellion being like, and this is it. This is the moment. And the curtain came down. <laughs> and from this point onwards, <laughs> this is when it started. This, And it's like, it's so... I, I, I know that this is fiction about space wizards for babies, but it's so a, a, a historical... For, like, rebellions don't have... like. The Moments. reason that the reason that there's a rebellion is because there's an empire. That's it. Like the, the empire is bad. We believe you. <laughs> like, we don't need to sell this big moment. Like that. That is the thing that kind of like does drive me up the wall about this movie. Like there, this movie is two hours and fifteen minutes, and I think it's mostly fine, right? But the bit that really drags for me is the bit in after they refine the coaxium or steal the coaxium and have to get it back through the space corridor or whatever with the mall. That sequence, yeah, the that sequence is just interminable, and you can tell that it exists. First of all, so that they can finally explain on screen why George Lucas said parsec when he clearly meant like hours. Um, But also, I I like that creature getting its skin ripped off. <laughs> that is a fair point. Yeah. <laughs> but like I, I like that sequence just and it, it feels again like a network like a note. You can feel the Disney executives being like, Hans a cool space pilot. You need to make sure there's at least twenty minutes of cool space piloting in this movie. And it's like I, that that sequence kind of drags me because it, it exists literally only so they can go, Ha, we know you fans got the joke about parsecs. That's a unit of space. I, it kind of runs away from them though, because like what you want in that is like a fast paced exciting sequence and yeah as you say Andrew it goes on and or as you say Darren it goes on and on like because they have to explain so much (laughs) while they're doing the quick exciting dangerous thing and like they're in there for a while like it doesn't actually feel like a impressive achievement anymore by the time that they came out to the point where every parsec like to, to, to the point where at the end of it you have I don't know I I, I can't. I don't know. Like a Aaron Reich. Aaron Reich. I feel odd. Like you shouldn't trust my pronunciation. Go up to another character and say, "I just did the, the castle running twelve parsecs." And it's like, I don't care. Like, just walks <laughs> I do like the line. Oh, <laughs> like we're we're rounding. If we down, round down, so. yeah. If we, <laughs> if we round down. Um. 
All right, so we're going to talk very briefly then. Let's let's take a lightning round on the cast. I think we've already talked about, like, Amelia Clark and her character and how she served. We talked a little bit about Donald Glover, if anybody else wants to talk a bit more. I think Glover is, it's it's the most shallow take on this movie, but Glover is the performance I most enjoy of the set, I think. I think he's the one who's, like, closest to what this movie... I mean, got genuine pathos from him that you don't get from Beckett, that you don't get from Ehrenreich, that you don't really... This is um, the L three stuff, is it? Yeah, yeah. The 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 that 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 stuff it feels more kind of like touching, and it it, it goes kind of to it 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 it's it's a kind of a disrespectful memorial in 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 that he 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 takes like his his woman away from. Him. I, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, not his woman. It, it's like his partner, the woman that he loves. Yes, his, let, his. Let, 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 let's say. It does give us um, one of those great like examples where a movie is very confident that it's going to get sequels to to do this stuff because you know at the end of this movie they are not friends they, they <laughs> just get along <laughs> but you can tell that they are like that's ah, fine we got two sequels to set up them being friends you know it's funny the card game at the end where he says like hey are you looking for this like any card game it's like well you have one of the cards in your hand <laughs> <laughs> like. You you're you're getting kicked out. You're not going to keep any of your winnings. You're probably <laughs> going to get beaten. Yeah, because they're like because they're not friends at that point. I I really because this is one of those things where again the overexplaining drives you mad because the whole thing in Empire Strikes Back where it's like ah oh, me and Lando are all friends and oh you beat me in that card game you tricks it like presumably you would think that that wouldn't be the first or second card game that they ever would have played together <laughs> you know you kind of would think of it as like particularly with the idea of giving up some old rusty ship kind of thing that you're kind of fond of but isn't great you kind of think that that would be something that you'd, you've, you've had a few too many years into it yeah and yeah like you know uh, but like, if if Han reveals immediately that he circumvented Lando's cheating, <laughs> why would Lando not just, like, shoot him <laughs> and keep the ship that he cares about? That's because Han would shoot first, Luke. Are you not familiar with the fan I, Like, the, the, the audience at the card game is like, oh, that's some good cheating. <laughs> <laughs> gotta admire yeah. it. Like, it's, it's like, I mean, he's good for respect that cheating. Yeah, no, good. it's, like, against the rules, but, like, we accept that there is that that things are going to be against the rules. We just want to see it done well, stylish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Very well, I mean, good. like, yeah. Again, like it. Again, He's this like looking at his like contraption that pulls out. Literally <laughs> <laughs> like, um, up, literally up that his sleeve. Difficult to spot. No, no, it's not. <laughs> like I mean, and I hope that they give you the in the insert as well to let you know. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, yeah. like. They, he, Look, Donald Glover justifies his presence in this movie. He gives you everything that you assume that you're going to get when you see the Donald Glover's cast. He's funny. <laughs> he's charming. It's great. It's yeah. fine. It works. Yeah. John Favreau should not be in this fucking movie. Thaddeo okay, Newton should not be in this movie. <laughs> like they're pointless characters. Thaddeo Newton is was apparently really pissed that she died in the edit. Like Andrew mentioned that she dies very quickly. The reason that that happens is because apparently she wasn't supposed to die. She was supposed to like have a fate that would be similar to death, so she could come back in the sequel. So the idea was that to, she was to supposed what to be an end. <laughs> like, to, who cares? <laughs> the, he knows this Marks and Spencer's brand Firefly crew for like five minutes, and then like we're supposed to care when CGI John Favreau Space Monkey dies. We don't. We're supposed to care when she does. We don't. 
like, like even even Woody Harrelson is on very shaky ground in terms of getting the audience to care about. Yeah, the audience like I, care. Like I care about Woody Harrelson, so there's a lot of residual. <laughs> like you kind of assume that you like this character when like, you see him why, because he's Woody Harrelson. You're in a in a solo movie. You want you want an answer to the question like, why does Han Solo like twirling his gun so much? Is it <laughs> the obligatory TJ Laser reference? From the 1987 movie Robocop. Nice. I was wondering how you were going to fit that was in. Yeah, I, I love that it's basically like, and they have the moment where it's like, you got to teach me how to do that. And it's like, again, it's. Why? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's an exactly. It's pretty straightforward. And it's such a non sequitur. It's, it's, it's he, he's taking killing time away from himself. Yeah. <laughs> But like no, he's I, in a gunfights and he's like twirling these guns around, prancing like and where, dancing, where he could be like getting another shot in. I like okay. Can I? Can, we'll come back to the other cast Sorry, members in a moment. I know that's no, no, like who cares? But. No, no. I there are parts, small parts of this movie I really like. I really like the um, again. There's the germ of a clever idea here. It feels like a Lord and Miller pitch where the Han Solo origin story is like the really messed up like black comic version of the Luke Skywalker origin story from Sky War- from Star Wars, where Luke plans to enlist in the Empire and become a pilot, but he doesn't get to do it. Whereas here, like, Han goes and enlists in the Empire. And I love the um, the jaunty version of the Imperial March over the see the yeah. galaxy, join the Empire moment. And then you <laughs> just get the smash cut. Yeah. 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 You just get the smash cut to, oh no, he's a grunt on the ground doing it's terrible things. World thing. War One essentially. Which is, I, li- I, actually, I actually like that sequence because it's, it's the first moment in Star Wars where it seems, again, I suspect it's Lord and Miller, but it's blackly comic. It's like comically absurd. You have moments where it's like, this way, just over the ridge. Where are we going? What's going on? What is the purpose of this? And then his like sergeant gets blown up. It's like, who's in charge? Oh, uh, Woody Harrelson, I that, guess. That is the difficulty of um, when it's like when there's uh, planetary combat here on earth where you're looking at kind of like a line in the map yeah where 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 and where, you want it to move left or you, right yeah you, you want to get there but if you're just landing from the sky <laughs> everywhere <laughs> is the frontier like in every direction yeah. and you just have to kind of like move out kind of um in that general direction. it's kind of like what is the objective here when you're trying to take over a planet? Yeah. But it's like, it's, it's very catch 22. Like there's the moment where one of the guys like scream, my legs, my legs. I'm like, like I laughed out loud. I don't like, cause it was just so absurd. Like that's the kind of th- vibe that I wanted from the movie. And you could tell very quickly that Disney's like, no dark and edgy. Sorry. Sorry. Luke. It's funny though as well, because like in terms of the war aspect of Star Wars, like every single Star Wars movie besides this in the third act has a battle, which even in comparison to other blockbusters, it's always very clear why something is happening, like why this big battle. What they is want happening. to do, yeah. What the objective is, yeah, and like what the bad guys are trying to prevent and what the good guys are trying to do. And this, they kind of don't really. So they, they instead, they're going for a more singular, kind of a low-level crooks and double-crossing kind of a story, but they're not as confident in doing that, and so it gets very confused. It reminds me of the episode of Community where everyone is betraying each other and the Dean gets confused as to who he's double-crossed or not, and he's like, I, couldn't, I can't keep track of it anymore. Like, they, yeah, like Woody Harrelson thinks he's betrayed them, but in fact they were counting on him betraying them. To, so, the, but... Yeah, look, there's a, there's a weird moment. Like, there's a moment where, and again, this Kira, is one of the things... Uh, it, yeah. like, stops 
Um, uh, Drayden? Uh, yeah, she does. She stop. She stops Dryden Foss from killing. She stops Han Solo she from stops killing Han Bobette, from killing Dryden Voss. Yeah. To and then, then she kill kills Dryden Voss herself. Him. Yeah. I mean, to but, then betray but, Han Solo. But the, but there's also like a moment earlier in that confrontation where Dryden Voss is like, Why not ha, just somebody let him kill Dryden yeah. Voss if that's what's ultimately gonna happen. But there's the moment where he's like, ha. You know, somebody betray like somebody betrayed you, and it's like, and Han Solo is like Kira, and it's like, no, it wasn't Kira, and it's like, but if you but two rehearse, if yeah, <laughs> but if you two rehearse this beforehand, like, why would you jump to the conclusion that it was Kira and then, when you clearly know that it was in fact uh, Beckett? When when what's his name, Red Lad shows up, and <laughs> um, uh, what's his name? Red, the Darth Maul. Darth Maul, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maul, like, just Maul. Maul, he, that's fair. He, Maul, he, he's, he's he, no longer he, a Darth Maul. Yeah, he, <laughs> he gave up his title. He moved laterally. Maul, um, he yeah. did a, um, Palpatine. But like, she was, she yeah. lies to him about the circumstances of Paul Bettany's death, and it's like, he wasn't there. Like, she, like again, like, why not just let Han kill him? <laughs> if that was what you were going to say, was going to happen. Try to protect Han. Anyway, but like, but <laughs> not, because then there. she's like, He doesn't well. even go here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it's, they don't even, like, when Chewbacca went off with, uh, uh, Beckett? When they're marching across, when they're Yeah, marching. yeah, and, th- and then she's like, quick, you gotta go save Chewbacca. I was like, does he? I couldn't keep back with it anymore. <laughs> um, I have to gather up these crystals that will take me long enough to steal Beckett, this yacht. Beckett isn't that bad a guy, really, is he? <laughs> like, like and, and Chewbacca, like, is going along with, uh, uh, with Beckett, like, is he is he is he that badly off? Like he's got forty million credits. I mean, he's gonna have to he's listen to, to Beckett splits. playing the loot. Like that's that's the only negative here. Is that? No, like- but all all Beckett wants is like a small little kind of um, uh, chunk of the galaxy, and I, I guess the rest is gonna go to Chewbacca. Chewbacca is probably gonna have a far a better, better deal. outcome <laughs> yeah, with by, by following Beckett. But again, like. Uh, Beckett is trying to teach Han like you gotta screw people over before they screw you over and you can't trust anyone and Han takes that message on board and shoots first and that is a sentence we recognize like from the movie yeah yeah yeah. and that's significant but like again that, that is, is good I think that works until they yeah. immediately undermine it like if they had it ended there that would have been fine it's just that yeah. then they're like no this was a fun movie that you're gonna now tell <laughs> your friend to take his kids to you know <laughs> yeah. I mean it, it's a common problem that these you know prequels have and it's a common problem Disney has with these prequels where like Star Wars needs to begin with the galaxy at a low point so that it can build to a high point with the destruction of the Death Star. So its characters need to be in uncomfortable and sad and sorrowful positions in order for their arcs to pay off. And like Obi-Wan Kenobi, I think Luke mentioned earlier on, Obi-Wan Kenobi was a show that, you know, Disney stopped production of, fired the showrunner and basically brought in a new writer to rewrite the ending because they wanted it to be a hopeful, uplifting story. But... Like, Obi-Wan Kenobi is introduced in A New Hope as an old man living in a cave who has given up on life. 
that's impossible to reconcile with a happy ending to a streaming show. And one of the big problems with, like, the streaming show Obi-Wan Kenobi is that, like, the happy ending that they tack onto it doesn't feel earned or organic. And also, as kind of Andrew pointed out, doesn't really fit with, like, what happens afterwards. And that's, I think, kind of an element or a problem that, as Luke pointed out, Solo has itself. Yeah. They can't... Han runs after Beckett. It's like, you're taking my Wookiee. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Chewbacca, you're mine. <laughs> you do remember that. Um, like, it is just very quickly worth noting the Drayden Voss character. Uh, that is a complete recast. That character exists completely differently. That character is a disaster. <laughs> yeah, that character exists in a completely different version in the Lord Miller cut. He, he was originally played by Michael K. Williams and was apparently a lion man, a hybrid lion, lion human with like extensive prosthetics and stuff like that. Williams was unable to come back for the Howard reshoots. Apparently at the same time, Paul Bettany, who had obviously worked with Howard on such classics as A Beautiful Mind, for example, and obviously The Da Vinci Code was like, I will, I'll play a stormtrooper in this. And Howard's like, I have a role for you. When and, did playing a stormtrooper become some like fun? Like, when did they all start doing that? I don't get that. You know, Daniel Craig. Well, it's and... because you don't have to be on set. You just, you just, you could show up or not. And you do a voice. They volunteer to do it, and it's like... yeah. Like, I mean, is it yeah? I so you've got like Tom Hardy and sorry. In this, who's the stormtrooper? I was. You were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I thought we signed an NDA on that. And again, uh, they they can't they can't fucking help themselves because John Favreau's character in a very high stakes, very like they got to get away quickly situation has to like stop and look at the camera and be like, the these helmets they're bad, and so that is why the the stormtroopers they they can't shoot very well. They have no peripheral vision. They say no peripheral vision, and they can't turn around. And they oh, what a what a thing that we're aware of in the universe, so you can't criticize it anymore. Well, as you said, it's making the joke so you can't get there first. And then I guess, like, the last one to mention then is, is V.B. Waller-Bridge's L3. We've kind of mentioned it already, but worth shouting out. She, apparently, again, the jo- the story that she tells is she thought that she got the script, thought the part was very well written, didn't know what a droid was, and had to, like, try to explain it to her, to, to her basically. That's- she asked the taxi driver on the way to the audition. She had to have it explained to her in the audition that it's a robot. Um, that That's- is apparently... That's not true, though, is it? Like, she's being I, funny. <laughs> like, I don't know. That's um, not true. <laughs> that's made up. Um, I do, I, I quite I, like... I would have liked... I wonder, did the Phil, did the Lord and Miller one use the space pig dogs more? Cause oh, I, the ones I that they them, chase him like, on why the... are they in the car? uh, they come along with daddy on his rides they 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 go along and then they bring them to the train station it's like oh cool (laughs) he's gonna be like a space pig dog Um, fight like yeah it's gonna be like really gruesome and kind of (laughs) scary but no Alas, it's just a couple of intense close-ups. You know, the space pig dogs just go home and then it's like, oh, we'll stop at that place you like. Well, d- right. d- d- don't, <laughs> don't worry, Andrew. There is an eight-part miniseries coming on <laughs> Disney space Plus next dogs. year. Space pig dogs. Yeah. I mean, like, again, there was like, and again, this is where you get into the fan service stuff. There was a cameo from Tag and Bink uh, oh. and our listeners are getting very excited about that. They're characters from the Expanded Universe. They had a scene in this movie that was It was cut. also Terras Cassie. Oh, we're, we're, is that the Warwick Davis character returning from Phantom Menace? No, Mass? no. Teres Cassie oh, is... And, and Did I say that right? Yeah, I think it's Teres Cassie is the martial art that, oh, is, that she uh, learns from, is used yeah. against kind of like Jedis and that. It's a PlayStation game from like 1997 mm-hmm. or 98 or something. It's a, it's a fighting game uh, set in the, Star, in Wars the Star Wars universe. 
Uh, and again, like you, you have that bit where it's like, oh, I, I learned that from Dryden. It's like, what is the relationship between these two characters meant to be? Like, is it meant to be personal? Is it meant to be? Do they actually like each other? All that sort of stuff. That's never really developed or or explored either. Um, I mean, I feel and I, like it, it, she she achieves the 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 ultimate kind of like aim of that relationship. It's like I, I, well, I, I will nurture him. you until you replace like me. turn on me. Yeah. It's like well, again, the, 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 the rule Sith, of two, the master, yeah, yeah. the master and the apprentice. It it ought to be a very simple. Uh, femme fatale thing um mm. you got you gotta help me he's awful he's so cruel to me you know you, you must save me and then it's like she's actually getting him out of the way now i mean from a from a gender politics point of view then maybe that would have been great <laughs> but you again presumably they were like we want to harden hansel's heart we want to tell this kind of story and then they were like but we can't make amelia clark's character too unsympathetic we're not sure what we want to do with her in the sequels yet. We, right. we don't want to get negative press. We, you know, and so it just yeah. ends up being this weird mishmash of, of nothing. <laughs> you know, it's just confusing and, and it doesn't kind of pay off really. Yeah. In a meaningful way. Um, I, I did, I did feel like that fight. I think they knock over some kind of things. <laughs> that counts as food waste. I think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, is it worth uh, just again the mole stuff as well, which is very fan servicey, where that's stuff that's referencing stuff that was in the cartoon. Again, this is the point where Disney are like leaning hard into the fan stuff. When they do the Force Awakens, they announce it's a clean slate, the expanded universe never happened. There's none of this continuity dragging us down. And by yeah. this stage, they're like, "Hey, remember all this stuff from the expanded universe?" Where like they Chewbacca died, he was hit by a car. <laughs> I believe he was hit by a planet. Thank you very much, Chewie. Or a moon. Do we? <laughs> uh, but that's no moon. Um, but uh, yeah, like Darth Maul is back and he's voiced by the guy from the Clone Wars. They apparently replaced, like Peter Serafinovich voiced the role. And then apparently the, you've heard this story, have you? The, well, no, but like I'm thinking about Peter Serafinovich isn't kind of like positive when he talks about Star Wars. No. I heard him speak about it once where he's like, oh, what was it like to work on Star Wars? <laughs> like, have you seen the movie? It's like, it's a... Just the most tremendously racist movie I've ever <laughs> seen. It's like something out of like Nazi Germany. <laughs> it is like oh, it was such a delight working on it. I'm really proud. <laughs> you know? But I mean, like, like the thing is that, like, and again, this is one of those stories about how culture has shifted. Where Sam Witwar, who was the guy who played Maul in the cartoons, apparently he got a friend to show him the footage of. Uh, Sarah Fitch's voiceover performance and was like, that's not what Maul sounds like. That's not what the fans expect. That's not in any way, you know, of a continuity with my work on The Clone Wars. And apparently petitioned Lucasfilm to get him to replace Serafinovich voicing Maul, which is... Star Wars is just, it's just more trouble. Really. <laughs> and I'm not just saying that because I don't want you to bring me back. To <laughs> 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 it's just uh, like, you know, this is just all exhausting, you know? Yeah. We just want to watch fun lasers. Like, for no reason, Paul <laughs> Bettany has daggers. Do laser like, daggers. Get a little laser in there as well. Like, it's already a dagger, but just one little laser in there as well. Just okay, and, it up and, a and then finally, last thing in my notes, because I feel like this merits conversation, the awkward Star Wars sex stuff. I kind of love that the movie heavily implies that Lando fucks a robot. I th- like I like again. This feels like one part of the movie that didn't get through like Disney censorship, where it's like very overt that like 
Lando is engaged in a relationship that is physical with yeah. L3. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very clear. Yeah, like, you're going to have to do that thing again tonight. No, but it's it's like, how does that work? Oh, it, 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 it works. Yeah. It just does. It, yeah. It's very funny. I wouldn't I wouldn't get rid of it, but it is it, 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 it is a bit of a clash because no one in Star Wars has sex or has ever had sex. Like even oh, we, we do you not remember talking about what happened on the Emperor's the, yacht, Luke? The 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 way that he and Amelia Clark kiss in Lando's cape room, and I then discovered it like is less like a sexually charged, like they were interrupted on the verge of having sex, and more like children <laughs> kind of yeah. kissing in the in the bro, closet. Yeah. In, the, in the closet, yeah. Fun fact here: apparently, that scene in Lando's uh, cloak room uh, is, as it were. Uh, is apparently the most involved George Lucas has been during the production of a live-action Star Wars movie. Apparently he came to the set to visit his good buddy Ron Howard while they were shooting that scene, and apparently he gave actual direction around Han Solo. I believe the actual direction was that Han was supposed to hang up at Lando's cape after Kira gives it to him, but Lu- but Lucas was like, no, 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 he should just throw it away or discard it or throw it on the ground. So that is that is apparently George Lucas's biggest contribution to Disney's live-action Star Wars movie, is that scene with the uh, terrible kissing in it. I'll... I'll- the kissing is very bad between um, between Kira, Kira and and Han to the point where I was like, is it meant to be bad? And it's kind of like how they're kind of kids, basically. Or, or... actors are not great kissers, at least on screen. Like if you, ever, I've, I remember seeing a compilation on YouTube of Bill Murray kissing, and it was like the most haunting thing. Just, <laughs> just like. <laughs> Listeners can't see, but Luke appears to be swallowing the camera. So um, it looks it looks like Laura Dern in Inland Empire, just like two of those <laughs> just mashing their faces together. Um, my aunt, like I probably shouldn't name, she doesn't listen to the podcast. It's fine. Um, but like she was like, yeah, Vin Diesel is the hottest man alive until she saw him kiss, and she was like, no, that that it's enough. A, it's was, a, that alone. I wouldn't enough. say every act is bad at it, but it is a very it's an understated skill. You know? yeah. Um, and again, like you, you mentioned the fact that nobody in these movies has sex. Luke, again, I feel the need to point out that on our on our oh, Empire gosh. Strikes Back podcast, um, and this is one of those cursed moments where like Andrew willed the Lando Calrissian hip hopper into happening. On our Empire Strikes Back episode, we mentioned that Lando stole the Emperor's yacht. And I believe you were like, the Emperor clearly had sex parties on those yachts. And there's lots of little bastard Emperors running around, not two weeks before the Rise of Skywalker released. So I feel like you bear some responsibility for what happened there. Okay, the Emperor, that's part of why there's a rebellion to begin with. <laughs> the Emperor's like, only I am allowed to have sex. And the rebellion is like, well, we won't stand for that. But they are all, there were all these like curious children, like finding a <laughs> magazine in the woods. Like they, they like the idea of it, but they do not know what it is. Um, and like, and again, the weirdness of the idea that L3's brain is in the Millennium Falcon and Han is basically riding Lando's girlfriend through the cosmos. I, I, presumably at one point in, during the rewrites and, and during directors and, and during it, all the meetings and during it all, at some point, presumably that meant something, <laughs> you know, like that, <laughs> they were like... Yeah, that's gonna answer. That felt like that a, we've done this. <laughs> <laughs> like that felt like an answer to a question that nobody had ever asked. You know, like, how, yeah. what what is the mapping system? Where does it come from? Like, <laughs> the, I believe it. I believe it originated in the idea that the Falcon was kind of alive and responsive. The idea was that it felt like it had a personality, and this was to explain that. Is it though? Also, I was I was confused watching this. Are they trying to? I I, I couldn't quite track this, but in that interminably long Kessel Run sequence, yeah. are they trying to suggest that light speed 
was invented in this, like, because he's like, no. they, they no, kind of had this no. Hail Mary thing of get the thing and put it in and then we can do the jump and blah, blah, blah. No, no, so, no, no, they need to navigate. They do need to navigate. Like, that's the thing. He says, like, why can't we just jump there? And it's like, oh, you can't jump there because of the, okay. the, the cloud. So what that's was it. the significance of them putting the super duper feel into the thing? Like, they seem, they seem to oh, it just imply got- <laughs> that that was a particularly dangerous thing to do instead of a standard thing to do. Well, you can't do the jump inside the the field because obviously there's all these sort of it objects flying. just gave them a boost. Yeah, it just gave them a boost. they wouldn't get, oh, okay, like, okay, kind of okay, ordinarily. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Luke. Luke, were you clearly not paying attention to the design of the Falcon? No, but the, the, this was my this was my issue. Is that yeah, that what uh, theoretically should be a we got to do this quickly. We can't do it quickly. We do it quickly. Thing becomes yeah, really needlessly convoluted. There's a monster. There's a there's, <laughs> there's a black there, hole. There's, there's walls. The, there's tie there's walls fighters. closing yeah. in. Even yeah. though it, like it's yeah, even though it's space. Yeah. There's um, an imperial but, starship. That was peculiar. Why did that happen? Well, that's because that's, it happened in the Empire Strikes Back. That's like, the Maw, yeah. I guess. I thought the Maw was the black hole. I did like when, when Han was like, I've got a really good feeling about this. I felt like that yeah. was the energy they should have pursued yeah. more. That, that, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll stand by saying that Like, I thought Aaron Reich was, was like, um, I think he does very well yeah, yeah. Um, here. And I mean, and again, just because we haven't talked enough about the creepy L3 stuff, I do like that it transforms the Falcon into another vaginal cave space, like so much of the Star Wars franchise, where it effectively makes the, the Falcon the same as like the asteroid cavern where Luke and Le- where Han and Leia have their moment or the cave of the self that Luke goes into or the place that Rey goes to get in touch with herself. The uh, wet, hairy hole, I think uh, our regular guest Richard Drum described it. It does make Han look like a much bigger dickhead to 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 Lando, Lando. About, about you know tricking him out of getting the Millennium Falcon because it's like I've got your mother's ashes <laughs> like, <laughs> this, you lovable rapscallion this, this robot that he was in love with and like you know he lives she lives on now in this ship that was stolen away from him <laughs> it's like I'm not a good guy he's a scoundrel <laughs> Is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything in your notes jumping out at you, Luke? So you you said aggressively fine. So one thing I have, as one thing I have left in my my notes. I don't know if this is a bad editing issue or or what, but it is something that comes up in Rise of Skywalker as well, which I thought was interesting. Um, fake Chewbacca departure from movie moment <laughs> <laughs> because in the big riot thing. They're like, yes. Chewbacca is a good dude. Like, Chewbacca is a good dude. We all love Chewbacca. We all love Chewbacca. Yeah. And he sees the other Wookiees, and like, Chewbacca has more of a moral compass than the other characters. So he's like, I want to stay and fight and stuff. And Han is like, uh, Well, I'll see you around sometime. Like, that conceivably could have been yeah. Chewbacca's exit from the movie. Well, I mean, you even have the moment later where, where what's his name is like, Oh, is he dead? Where Brackett's like, Is he dead? Yeah, yeah. yeah like, and he's like, oh, he had, he had to go and do a thing. And, like, literally before that sequence is over, they're back together. Like, yeah. <laughs> there was a point when, when Chewbacca could go and join... Because I think that is ultimately what Chewbacca wants, is to go back to Kashyyyk, right? Yeah, well, to be with his people. And he yeah. has the opportunity then to leave with them. But he feels this loyalty towards Han. And I... I, I I kind of, I kind of like, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's robot is a tag. 
Donald Glover is despondent. He runs into the fray to get her back. Han shows that he's not completely self-interested in going to get Lando. Mm-hmm. And then Chewbacca sees that this guy's a good guy and he goes and picks them all up and brings them all back. I kind of like... It's just the fact that they were like, Chewbacca's out of the movie. No, he's not. <laughs> like it's, why do that at all? <laughs> you know? Uh, like or or so many people get killed in that scene. By the way, <laughs> that scene is just—you can tell that that was a real like point where they cut a lot because presumably yeah. like robots, a robot-led rebellion that's accidental. Like that's a comedy set piece. Yes, and and they're like, no, it's an action set piece. <laughs> it's dramatic. One of the best moments in the movie is like when L3 is asked what she's done and it's like I may have inside the rebellion and there's just this adorable little robot just stamping all over the control panel and it's like yeah. more of this please. It's played for laughs and then yeah. L3 is dead. <laughs> yeah, then L3 is shot through the head and the heart. Yeah, where she's like, oh, you have nothing to lose but your trains. And it's like... <laughs> but see, yeah, like the idea of this like rebellious robot, like that's funny and you can tell like that started life as a funny thing. And like this, kicking off this accidental revolution, and then kind of running with it. She's like, "I found, I found purpose." <laughs> and then somebody went, "No, this is a serious thing. This is a war. God damn it. This is a casualty of war." <laughs> Can I ask you, as as the podcast resident C three PO guy, was that something that appealed to you? Yes, because I think we've talked before, Darren, about like my belief that there should be a C three PO standalone story where C-3PO inadvertently becomes the leader of a robot rebellion because humans do not respect the robots and treat them like they're not alive. Like, I like Lando treating... uh, uh, L3. uh, Yeah, yeah. Like, an actual, like, person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, But to the other... Again, to the other characters' confusion, or or, or it's it's at least unusual to them, you know? Yeah. I, I would love to see a C-3PO movie where he finally strikes back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's a weird thing. Because they people, do not respect him. People felt that this was a new departure for robots in Star Wars movies in A New Hope. Like R2-D2 R2, 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 is like ride and, or die. Yeah. Um, C-3PO get um, they are the only characters in the movie. For like a a a, so a, a twenty a minutes decent yeah. stretch, and they get kidnapped and they're being sold, and the, the, it's very the, the, the people are like, oh, what or um, is there some sort of like slavery metaphor in in, in Star Wars? That's not my Star Wars, yeah. and it, but it's like the original yeah. kind of when, A New Hope. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's one of Lucas's pet like pet. Lucas it's just loves more the robots. subtle. Lucas in, in loves fairness. Lucas loves the robots. Lucas yeah. is all like there's a famous thing where his episode of the Clone Wars is a four episode arc focused on C3PO and R2D2 wandering through mirror dimensions of infinite robots. There's, um, a, there's a great meme where like Darth Vader is is like what's you know uh, at the very beginning of a new hope when he's finding out that the plans being stolen. And it's like <laughs> what's happened? And it's like oh these two wrote this <laughs> This one femme <laughs> droid and this little wheelie bin have made off the path. And Darth Vader is like, oh, word, they're my boys, LMAO. Because <laughs> like, everyone loves them, you know? 
I felt like I felt I did like Phoebe Waller Bridge kind of added to the tradition of likable Star Wars robots. Just a kind of homicidal robot in in Rogue One. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. Well. Alan the Alan Tudyk. Tudyk. Yeah. 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 K two, isn't it? K two S O. Look at you remembering Star Wars stuff. Um, <laughs> and Andrew, what about yourself? Is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't discussed already with regards to Solo? Anything jumping out at you? No, no. I I I I feel I feel like we've 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 covered it. We've um, we've done our bit. <laughs> we didn't need to do this. <laughs> no, we did not. We need absolutely to... needed to do it. <laughs> it's tradition. Uh, tradition. Um, but they put off talking about the rise of Skywalker for another year. To be fair, I don't have to rewatch the rise of Skywalker for another year. When I did, not on the list. Like you don't have to do it. <laughs> we don't have to do this the listeners demand it luke the listeners demand i sure i told you that thing about the feedback we got from the uh from the last jedi episode where it's like this is pretty good but uh feels like you guys abbreviated a bit feels like you guys were rushing towards the end well yeah. even this we're like there's nothing to say here we are two like, hours later the, the actual um the, whatchamacallit the actual format of our podcast is not what people like <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or at least we get the impression sometimes yeah that, like the, the people like the kind of seasons and, and that sort of thing yeah um the break from the list uh, and then just finally just again i, I just want to close on something i actually do like about the movie i do like bradford young cinematography i think it looks really good i think the movie looks really nice it's use of kind of dark criticism color. of the cinematography wasn't there there was at the time. Like, I mean, again, when it came out, there were a lot of people complaining that it wasn't screening rights, that, that again, that cinemas weren't projecting it properly, that the bulbs weren't properly shined, that it was very difficult to see what was happening on screen. And like Young, as Young, obviously, he's a digital cinematographer. So he's talking about how important it is that he can actually see the footage as it's being filmed so he can actually calibrate and see what is like what it will look like when it's rendered. I, I think this movie looks really, really nice. Like, there are some beautiful shots in it. That moment, like, again, it's completely emotionally vacant and makes no sense in terms of plot or narrative. But that moment where Kira is flying the yacht away, looking out at Han, and it's the shot of, like, Amelia Clark's face in shadow and the two, like, bright silhouettes of the windows behind her. Those shots are, like, really striking, really stunning. The gambling den, which is kind of shot in these golden hues with kind of Lando and things like that. The war, the the war scene earlier on, which is like just confusing enough, but you can follow what's going on and you can see where all the characters are in relationship to one another. I I think this movie looks good. And it's notable that like nobody who works on this movie has a bad word to say about Young. Apparently, like Ron Howard was reinvigorated working with Young. It's like apparently the two of them would spend hours like talking by the monitors together about how much they enjoyed working together. So I think that's that's good. By the way, Chef. Sh- oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Can I, can I ask a quick question? And I wasn't able to find an answer online for this, but I remember watching this movie and everything happens and then there's like an after credit scene where Maul appears and um, Kira gives her briefing to him. But but that wasn't a movie at all. It wasn't moved. No. I watched it this time and it's like, oh, that happens like, like a good maybe 15 minutes in advance of the end of the movie yeah star wars hasn't yet become fully marvelized is right. the thing like so we haven't like we I don't just get remembered that as an end yeah. credit sequence but we don't get post-credit scenes until no. like the end of the mandalorian like the the second season of the mandalorian does a post-credit scene with boba fett for example the last episode of andor has a post-credit scene the last episode of like boba fett have a post-credit scene but like 
Star Wars is still at this stage a franchise that sees itself as perhaps a bit above that sort of franchise. an opening crawl. Yeah, well, it does. It has three three texts, yeah. three three text cards, which feels again feels like it wants an opening crawl. But they were like, like, you know, you don't get. I one. always feel like as bad as the Star Wars movie is, it still has that bit at the beginning where it's like, where the fanfare hits. Yeah, it's funny um, because they they were like they kind of they didn't do it in Rogue One. They kind of wanted to do it yeah. here. They have the stupid, like it's not stupid. It's it's it's, it's the the thing about like hyper fuel, and like oh. Uh, this is a lot of crime. Lady Proxima. Yeah, the yeah. cruel Lady well, Proxima. And it's kind of setting the scene, but it's also kind of stuff that doesn't really matter. Like, Proxima doesn't really matter. Yeah. yeah. Nobody cares about it. But then when they get to the end, it's like, we we got we better give them the classic John Williams. <laughs> yeah, the, the soundtrack is... The soundtrack is, is one of those scores that is... Sa- like, again, like Danny Elfman's work on, like, Becking uh, Justice League the previous year. It's just, like, you remember all of these, like, music cues where it's populated with these John Williams scores. Like, the, the Duel of the Fates is in there, the Star Wars theme is in there, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it, it, I, I, I do not like the score for this movie, which is, which is a shame. But such is life. All right, then. I think that then wraps it up. So what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something, something they're enjoying at the moment. It could be something related to the movie, something unrelated to the movie, just something that gives people a little bit of joy in these uncertain times. So to give Luke a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Um, a writer that I enjoy is Darren Mooney. He, he wrote about... Uh, Willow in the Irish Independent recently. Check out his stuff. He's on uh, Movie Blog as well. That's M Zero V I E. What is the name of this guy again? Darren Mooney. He's on Twitter as well. You can follow him. He's Darren underscore underscore Mooney. Is that a word? No, Darren underscore Mooney at 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 twitter dot com. Twitter dot com. Sorry. Yeah, he's 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 great. He's 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 writing some some interesting stuff about um and also check out um in the frame. Oh, the video um, series. That, yeah, yeah. He yeah. does with uh, Omar Med, who's actually like a talented person. Um, well, absolutely. Um, it's kind of interesting takes on um a lot of this pop culture stuff that we kind of touch on here. Um, with um, the 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 way Marvel and kind of Disney and that sort of the Star Wars and the things we've been speaking about, the so, landscape in which we exist. Yeah, yeah. Um, so thank you, thank you very much. So, uh, no, I've been enjoying. Uh, and there's also there should be a piece on Avatar dropping this week as well. Ooh, big so Big Jim's Avatar: The Way of Water. The Way uh, of Water. That'll be in the Independent this week. I uh, like that point about like um, it being the height of hubris we mentioned recently about <laughs> kind of the the late 90s where it was like you know water water, water tanks and, yeah <laughs> um well i mean like I, and I love that like again maybe we'll talk about way of water maybe we won't on this podcast but i love that like cameron is owning the hubris of it where it's like in order to like not bankrupt the studio this needs to be like the fourth highest grossing movie of all time and it's like so, so i don't think he knows any other way so, <laughs> So, Jim, um, when can people go to the toilet in this three hour and ten minute movie? It's like they can go whenever they want. They'll just see the scene they missed when they come and see it a third or fourth time. The thing about James Cameron, like, you know, when you come up from having a look at the actual factual Titanic in your little submarine and then you immediately find out that 9-11 happened. 
<laughs> has happened to James Cameron. <laughs> like, you, how can you not... And, like, you're already a hugely... One of the most successful people of all time. Like, how can you not think that you're the protagonist of reality at that point? <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, like, he just... He, he can't live any other way. No, like, I do love that, like, every movie he has made since 1992 has been the most expensive movie of all time that could potentially bankrupt a studio if it fails. Like, I love that there's no other way for James Cameron to live since, like, 1992. Um, but, Luke, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment? Uh, one thing I would recommend if you're looking for kind of a fun space diversion and solo Star Wars story doesn't quite do for you is uh, there's a South Korean movie on Netflix called Space Sweepers, uh, which is a kind of Guardians of the Galaxy style story out of this ragtag crew of criminal misfits. It kind of scratches that itch. Like, it's not been groundbreaking, but it's a very fun, very watchable uh, kind of story. Uh, you get to meet all these characters. Is this a South Korean movie, is it? Yes, yeah, yeah. It's the South Korean Space Sweepers. Space Sweepers, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's got a robot who wants to transition. It's got, you know, these kind of lovable criminal loser types. So this is a movie that tried to go for Guardians and failed. That's a movie that is trying to go for Guardians and I think gets there a little, a little, a little closer. The Space Sweepers, I really liked it. And... To, to continue the self-plugging, <laughs> uh, I am now so good at plugging on your podcast, Aaron, that I have other people to do it for me. By the time the people already listen to this episode, they will have heard Graham Day <laughs> plugging the <laughs> latest issue of Pretty Deadly Films, which Graham wrote a really lovely article for. Uh, the latest issue of Film in Dublin zine, Pretty Deadly Films, will be out by the time that you listen to this. The theme of that one is food on film. And uh, Graham wrote a lovely article in that one about uh, Studio Ghibli movies and, and the food that you see in those. We've got really lovely artwork uh, from Jess, from Danielle Byrne, uh, from uh, Graham Scott as well about the five best movie sandwiches of all time. Uh, ooh, ooh. There's a nice. Can you give us number five? Can you tease us with number five? I don't think they're numbered. I, I think this is five. Oh, okay. They're not. They're not ranked. Okay. <laughs> uh, they're good ones though. They'll they'll, they'll make you very hungry. Uh, there's a nice article in there by E. Grant Bright about like kind of uh, movie uh, kind of feasts, horror, horror movie feasts, you know. Uh, ah, okay. Because there, there's kind of a lot of thematic kind of crossover there, um, and uh, I've got an article in there about Big Night, uh, the Stanley Tucci movie, um, which seems to be having a moment culturally. Well, it's one of my favorites. So I think Stanley Tucci, because he's doing those kind of food TV shows now, uh, there's a lot of... It's uh, the intersection. It's it's the... Yeah, he's got like... Where the two halves, Tucci. Yes. I, what, I, what I do in the article is I recreate the tampano, the, the, the dish, the, the kind of centerpiece dish of the movie mm -hmm. Big Night. And I took the recipe from that from his cookbook. Wow, uh, he's got, he's got a few out now, Tucci. Uh, but the the I have the I have the original print because it it has a forward from someone that has since been cancelled for being a oh, okay. But, but other than that, uh, it's, it's it's a great read. It, 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 I I was really reluctant to let Tucci down, but I, I hope I did him some justice. And finally, in that issue of Pretty Deadly Films, we've got a really fantastic article about uh, First Cow, Kelly Reichert's um, movie. Uh, written by Ronan Doyle, another friend of the podcast. Uh, he, he writes about food on the frontier, and he also gives his recipe for clafu tea. Uh, and if you've ever had anything that Ronan has baked, you know you have to pick up this issue. That's available now. Uh, so that's uh, 
on our Film in Dublin website. That's filmindublin.ie. That's where you can find me. That's where you can find me plugging myself relentlessly. And that's that's me giving my film recommendations for this episode. Until the next one. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Thanks. Oh, yeah, that, that's really great. Well, watering. Put in the show notes. Yeah. A lot of food for thought there. A lot for our listeners to chew over. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll hope we'll wait and see what you got cooking for the next issue. All right, uh, sorry, I made I had to make three. That that was it, and then I can continue. Um, <laughs> it's like it's like a weird OCD. Oh, no, all right, that's terrific. Oh, it sounds really good. All right, um, but yes, in terms of recommendations from myself, uh, I would just recommend Andrew. He is a lovely person. Thank you very much. Um, and you don't have to do that. <laughs> and I would um, less. I don't I'm have sur- any. I'm surprised, I'm surprised that nobody mentioned it. But because uh, I was kind of banking on Andrew recommending this, Atlanta. It is on Disney Plus. Uh, a Star International. Oh, yeah. It's on FX. Oh, yeah. um, the I haven't third watched season three yet. Well, season three's on there. It's, it's great, divisive. Yeah. I adored it. I thought it was amazing. The fourth season, I believe, will probably be arriving on Disney Plus internationally before Christmas. It aired in the States a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I wholeheartedly recommend it. it it's, it's absolutely amazing. It's very, very It's af- Afro-surrealist uh, sitcom that is, like, formally uh, experimental, starring, like, four of the most promising actors of our generation. That is in- just a joy from beginning to end. So if you haven't checked that out, please check that out. All right. So, Luke... If you want to plug uh, something that isn't Pretty Deadly Films, or even just plug it again, it's all good. But where can we find you? What you at? Where are you up to? You can find me writing on filmandubbin.ie. Uh, you can find me on Twitter far too often. I'm Mr. Cynical. That's Cynical with an I. Film and Dublin has a Twitter as well. I feel like I somehow missed that plug every time that I <laughs> relentlessly push push my, my, my works at your listeners. But that's at Film and Dublin, all one word on Twitter we're on instagram as well same handle if you want to check us out there as well perfect uh, yeah read pretty deadly films i say this every issue but it's a it's a really good issue i'm, I'm very proud of it and i'm very very happy with the contributions that we got this time around. It, it's a really great magazine it's a really great service it's it's a fantastic resource for young irish writers and a huge source for kind of people who are at all interested in film so we'll include the links in the show notes as well if you haven't checked it out check it out um, and yeah, the, the podcast, we're at the 250, where we usually are. We're on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, wherever you could find good podcasts. If you enjoy these discussions, because people seem to listen more to the Star Wars episode, we are cravenly chasing ratings when we do this. I think that like <laughs> the most popular episode of the past year, one of them has been The Last Jedi. Um, so yeah, that is the reason why we are doing so, these things. Like, I we're, understand it. It's right up there with the Batman and the Hangover episode, which is interesting. Every Um, year, I do not think about Star Wars. I mean, every December, you you get a text message. Just like it just all leaks out of my brain (laughs) for five hours. (laughs) One 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 of my favorite early episodes is Rogue One. I think that when it was just us. That was just the two of us. We should do more of those. Actually, to be (laughs) fair, Um, we should stop harassing Luke. Luke is like, is this get me off the off the hook for for the Rise of Skywalker? Oh, I I I love it. I love it. I don't want to do Rise of Skywalker, but I, I, everyone that I have done so far, I have enjoyed. I just don't want to do that one. But I know that I will. Um, all right, uh, we'll be back. So yeah, please feel free to obviously rate, review, subscribe, or whatever. Uh, we're very bad at doing that in the book section. Apparently, very important. But yes, please. Are more. If, yeah. there, if there's like 10 stars, give it 10. Give it t- as many stars as, as many there stars are. As as possible. Yeah, you know, we don't want any wars over this. Just just stars. That's what we're looking for here. Um, and don't go solo. Go like uh, Sanctuple, I guess. Is, was, was, uh... They really, they really uh, 
boxed you in with this one because it's just the same pun every single time. <laughs> there's nowhere, there's no room for you to take it down. No, like, well, I mean, yeah, it's like I can't really go with it. I do like though that like a blank blank story has become like the default mode of like satirizing like these sorts of franchise buildings where it's like Lightyear a Toy Story story kind of thing. Um, Adam Driver a Marriage Story story. Didn't they have the Alfred the Butler? TV show. Yes, he has a TV show, Penny, Penny, Pennyworth. It's run but three seasons. It, but hasn't it been like retroactively retitled as like Pennyworth, a Batman's Butler? Batman's the story of Batman's Butler. Like we live in actual hell. Like all <laughs> jokes aside, this is a miserable way to live. Have you have you seen like Teen Titans Go to the Movies, which is a massively underrated comic book movie? I yes, I have seen that one. Yeah, yeah, that's a great movie. In that movie, there's a sequence where they go to the cinema to see power. Like this is what the writers of the movie were parodying about, like superhero fatigue, and it was like Pennyworth. The gritty reboot of Batman's Butler. And then, like, I believe four weeks after the movie's released in cinemas, Warner Brothers announced there's a Pennyworth TV show, the story of Batman's Butler. That, um, that movie's hilarious, yeah. I mean, it is. Darren, you don't have to include this in the recording, but I just saw today in an email that Blue Beetle is coming out next yes, year. Yes, no, next year. No idea yeah. they were doing that. Yeah, no, I, I had forgotten as well. But I mean, again... That's that's one of the ones that feels like Zaslov may cancel it at any given moment for uh, yeah. reasons we don't need to go into here on the podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll be talking about we'll be continuing our annual tradition of talking about the Lord of the Rings movies. Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. The fantastic Charlene Lydon will be joining us to talk about The Two Towers, the 2002 second installment in oh, there. What a banger. All right. Take it easy, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Luke. bye.